This is a bad start, Sean. Well, I haven't started yet. Oh, okay. I can do whatever I want until I start, and then once I start, then it's on. But in the meantime, I would rather feel fully prepped with all of my drinks. Mm -hmm. And I could feel the smackiness of my mouth, so I wanted a little more water. Have you drank water today? That's what's in my, uh, in this guy. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm watering it up. Okay, go ahead and take a big gulp. No, that was big. Take a big gulp. I can't take a big gulp. I can't. Do it. I just can't. Take a big gulp right now. You're dehydrated. If I do. <laughs> you've been sick. That's true. But I, I don't think I have the lung capa- capacity for a big gulp. Take a big gulp. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Nashville CA. Hi, Josh. How are you? Mm. Ah, Thanks, Sean. <laughs> I, I'm well hydrated. So unprofessional drinking while I'm doing my show intro. And I look over to my co-host, who I'm looking to for support, and you're drinking water while I'm talking, not listening to me at all. Well, kind of like you have to put your own mask on before you put other people's masks on. Uh, yeah. I, well, it sounds like you don't wear any masks based on your recent sickness. That's true. I was, uh, I was down with the sickness. Very, very down with it. But now you're get up, get up. Yes, I'm like, uh, uh, I'm a chumbawamba. You did just take the coffee drink. Mmm. I worry about the whiskey drink. And the cider drink. And then sings the songs that reminds him of the good times. Old Lang Syne song that reminds him of the bad times. Speaking of, Merry Christmas. It's the 26th. <laughs> How was your Christmas, Sean? I think your COVID brain fog is spreading its way to me, a la John Carpenter's The Fog. And your brain fog is like a ghost pirate in my brain right now, and I can't think straight. Is is that what it is? You're not like... Uh overly traveled or just fatigued from the from the year that was no it also just may be cabin fever from just being in a place with my mom and just us for the past three days so that could also be contributing to the lunacy yeah that would probably do it it wouldn't it wouldn't now we had a great time we played disc golf yesterday really we played nine holes 73 years old, she played her first round ever of disc golf. Nice. How'd she do? Uh, Good. It was fun. We took her two dogs, and they were running around like maniacs out in the woods, and it was really fun. Uh, How are you feeling, though? When did you get sick? I lost, like, a whole week, or at least several days. Uh, it, It was, was it a week ago? We could go tomorrow. I don't know because I was like sick with something else. And then the COVID happened and the girls had strep throat. And then Elizabeth had COVID as well. Uh, came back from a work trip with it. So I have no idea. I've been sick for like a month. It feels like. So your house is just an infirmary. <laughs> yes. It's uh, like a malaria ward in here. Oh, man. Speaking of malaria wards, I was just thinking about the ghost in the darkness, and I feel like we might need to talk about Ooh. that show at some point. God, I haven't... I have a distinct memory of watching it when I first moved to Nashville. 
I've seen it so many times, and lately with Gorley and Rust, with the yuppie movies, they, there's a lot of Michael Douglas talk, and like, mm-hmm. oh, Michael Douglas just got locked in, like, playing an asshole rich dad. And it's like, yeah, but what about Ghost in the Darkness, where he's a big game hunter doing, like, some real hammy acting? It's it's way different from his normal roles. It's a good one. Is it ham? Kilmer? Oh, Is it hammy? I've seen... He nah, he's just but he's compared to his normal he's he's acting it up. Okay. He's acting it up in that movie. Um That's a great movie. I've seen it so many times. Anyway, another movie that I've seen so many times. Home Alone. Let's get to this episode. <laughs> uh we are talking Christmas movies today. I wanted to make Josh watch Home Alone because I watch it every single year and you have not seen it in a long time. And uh, you responded with The Ice Harvest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you had seen The Ice Harvest before, right? Yes, but also not in like a decade. I see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where do you think we start today? Um, I don't know. These are both uh, dark, nihilistic, <laughs> violent films. I think we have to start Ice Harvest. Okay. We have to. Let me because uh, I don't want the show to end on a downer. Oh, I don't think it ends on a downer. We'll get there, but we'll get there. Let's see. So, uh, yeah, who, what, <laughs> where, <laughs> why, when? <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> When did you watch The Ice Harvest? It's from 2005. Uh, it's another, it's so, it's such a you movie. I, I was sitting here watching it, and I, my mom watched the last hour with me, and I, I just kept looking at her, I'm like, this is such a Josh movie. Mm-hmm. This is, like, unbelievably just a Josh movie through and through. So when did you first see it, and it's, um, what's your connection with it? It would have been, it was on uh, DVD in probably 2008 2009 and for a few years i watched this movie while i was wrapping presents for christmas this was like just to put me in that christmas spirit this was one of the films this yep this one huh i i feel like in my early 30s i was going through something yeah yeah I mean, and it was, okay, so that wasn't, what year did you watch this? Not 2005. It came out in 2005, directed by Harold Ramis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So you watched this in like 2013? No, before that. I don't think I've seen it since 2013. Uh, This would have been like 2008 through 2010. Okay. 2007. This movie also is seeped in that. Uh, mid two thousands cynicism, mm-hmm. and I, I, it's funny. I just don't like those movies anymore. I, there's so much just like bitterness in comedies and horror movies and other movies from the time where it's like everyone just fucking hates each other so much or the director wants you to hate every character more than the other one. It's like, could we just like be nice to each other or something? 
that's not what this movie's about. This is no, no. This is also prime time. John Cusack also going through something in his thirties, I think, because in my experience, like John Cusack was fun in the eighties, and then still doing fun stuff like Con Air in the nineties, and then at some point, I, I feel like he just became a sad sack bummer guy. And that's kind of the vibe he gives me. I mean, uh, to refer to your, your vocal warmups here, would it be being John Malkovich was, is that like a turning point for, uh, Cusack? I've only seen being John Malkovich once. And I was, it was around the time it came out. So I was a teenager and didn't understand it at all. And the only scene I remember is Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Mm. So, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like that was a, he's a sad sack in that he's real bad off, but also I guess gross point blank kind of a couple years earlier. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just, he pursued that particular thread. It was a little, it fit in with that. Uh, early aughts cynicism you were talking about. Uh, yeah, he's just not, just not having any fun. He's kind of taking himself seriously. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, oh, I was going to ask you about Harold Ramis, mm -hmm. uh, because I don't really know. I mean, I know him from Ghostbusters, but I don't really know much about his movies. Um, you don't know much about uh, Groundhog Day? Oh, right. Of course. Or, or Caddyshack? Or uh, National Lampoon's Vacation? Okay. Well, I do know his movies then. I just didn't realize that he was the guy behind all of those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, right on. Um, yeah, I love Groundhog Day. That's an amazing movie. And I loved Caddyshack a lot when I was a kid. I haven't seen Caddyshack in ages. No, me either. I bet it still works for me, though. You don't think it's one of those where it's just, you, you kind of put your head in your hands a little bit? Like, ugh. Uh, in the, in like, in the pursuit of boobs? It, There's only one boob scene that I recall from it, because that was a uh, important boob scene for young me growing up. It was formative. <laughs> yeah. It was that and Under Siege. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, uh, Demolition Man, when he turns on the video chat thing, and you get, like, a flash of a woman's boobs before she has the wrong phone number. Uh, I've only seen Demolition Man once, and I was in my 30s. So. Put, do you like that movie? I barely remember it. It was it was fine, I guess. I think it was yet another one. It was fine? Yeah, it was fine. Demolition Man rules. <laughs> I, All right, put it on the list. Put, put it on the list. Demolition Man. Three seashells, right? 
Exactly, the three seashells. You, you probably don't even know how the three seashells work. Uh, I just know that you use them after eating Taco Bell. Ooh, you're going to hate this. I already did two and a half. You're so annoying. You are so annoying. I know. I've okay. got a lot going uh, on. Harold Ramis. I find, I'm on a laptop, and I'm sorry. I'm bad with navigating it. Bedazzled. Yeah. Your one look like shit. Analyze this. I liked it at the time. I think I would hate it now. Mm-hmm. Multiplicity was fun. And, uh, yeah. So, good director. I don't think I like Vacation. I think Vacation is too mean-spirited for me. And Christmas Vacation finds a much less angry balance. See, I don't... This is why we're not doing Christmas Vacation, because I don't buy Christmas Vacation. Because I, I feel like that, that meanness is still there, and then they're like, but he has a change of heart after getting locked in the attic. I don't, I don't buy it. But I'm talking about Grandma eating pea sandwiches and then dragging a dog behind a car <laughs> and killing it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about when I say there's like nothing like overtly mean in Christmas Vacation. That's fair. That's there's a lot less death, a lot less death, a lot less pet death. Christmas vacation in Demolition Man next episode. (laughs) Just two films I absolutely love. (laughs) Um, So another movie that this movie made me think of, The Ice Harvest. Um, Similarly, thinking of that cynicism and it worked out very well when Billy Bob Thornton popped on the screen. Uh, Bad Santa. Never seen it. There. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's very much of that early to mid two thousands, just bitter, hostile, dark comedy, offensive Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And this one isn't quite as offensive, but this one's still bitter and still very cynical and dark. But it's a neo-noir, and I know how much you love those. So, did you get any In Bruges vibes? Because that's kind of what I I put it, pair it with in my head. Okay. That's interesting. I... No, I not really, because In Bruges, there's no... There's no money. I was thinking more uh, a simple plan, or something like that, where... It seems so easy, and you you take the money, or you find the money, and you take it, mm-hmm. and then what seems so simple and easy at first, then gets complicated and backstabby and all that other stuff. Okay, yeah, I just I think part of what I key in on in this film is uh, the Cusack Oliver Platt dynamic. That was some of my more favorite stuff. All. <laughs> Oliver Platt is such a mess of a human, and I think it's it's not him. I think it's just the way his face is structured. <laughs> it's just so easy to make this guy look sloppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love my favorite Oliver Platt performance. I'm sure I've liked him in other stuff, and I, I've seen him on TV shows and bored to death. I've seen him all over the place, but... uh. I really like him and Brendan Gleeson 
going back and forth in Lake Placid. Oh, gosh. Brendan Gleeson in the alligator movie? Lake Placid? You haven't seen the alligator movie? I haven't. Or the crocodile? I have not seen the alligator <laughs> crocodile movie. You know, we're we're off to a real bad start this year. Okay, it's June, it's December 26th. We're not in the new year yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, this isn't going well. <laughs> you haven't seen Lake Placid? I ha- what are you doing with your time? Um... Man, I don't know. Brendan Gleeson and Oliver Platt have one of the all-time great on-screen romances, Will They, Won't They? They won't, but it's there. It's hidden between the lines. Lake Placid, also 82 minutes long. That's an endorsement right there. Uh, This movie was very pleasantly 89 minutes. Yes. I was happy about that. Also, uh, Home Alone's a little bit longer. I think it's like an hour 40, but Home Alone 2 clocks in at two hours, and Oof. oh my god, you feel, you feel that two hours. <laughs> um, oh, another, before we started watching The Ice Harvest, I took one note, which was, uh, I don't want to watch this, it's going to be another home for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Great way to start. Just- I th- the only thing I knew about this movie was uh, something about stealing money from a boss and John Cusack and uh, and the year mm-hmm. and I was just like oh god this is this is gonna be downtrodden downtrodden interesting choice of words do you th- what where do you find the Christmas spirit in this movie aside from there happening to be christmas decorations around oh you know when he goes to the convenience store to buy buy presents (laughs) for his kids at like three o'clock in the morning one of which is a set of green army man with 53 pieces who's selling 53 piece packs of toys that's amazing i hadn't noticed that jumped out at me and it really annoyed me <laughs> uh at the very beginning of this i was worried because i haven't seen it for a while um and i do think that i've grown past some of the cynicism but the sheen on this thing the the first couple scenes have like i don't know if they shot day for darker day because it's not night when he steals the money uh but that first scene in the car, like it's got this blue kind of wash to it, this tint that looks real fakey. And I was just like, oh, no. Oh, God. I I thought it was going to be steeped in that. Uh, l- thankfully, that lets up pretty quickly. And it's all like neon lit and all this kind of noir looking stuff. But I was I was real worried there for a minute that it was going to be a double slog. Lots of neon Lots of Christmas lights, but boy, the place you really feel that it feels terrible is the um, Oliver Platt's house. Oh, is God. one of the least comfortable sets for a living space mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It's it's it makes me want to throw up the idea of living in that blue crystalline monstrosity. 
with metal front doors. Yeah. My mom said it looked like a a refrigerator. Okay. The the quote that came to mind was from Heat when he's like the uh what European dead tech house. Uh he's ranting against the the ex-husband or whatever. Yeah. That's I was like, yeah, this that's what this is. It's just a dead tech. It looks like the neighbor's house in uh vacation. Like the yuppie. That's what it made me think of too. Oh, Todd and Margot's house? Yes. Like Todd and Margot yeah. might like this place. <laughs> Definitely. I could totally see Todd and Margot in their silver workout jumpsuits, <laughs> like with a big stairmaster and elliptical in that front room there. Yeah. 100%. Um, oh, <laughs> so I know you're going to ask me about the bars in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't want to drink at any of these bars. No. These are all. <laughs> It's it's two strip clubs and a really fancy yuppie looking restaurant with a maitre d. I don't want to go to any of these places. They're all icky for their own reasons. Yeah, when you uh, see that yuppie bar, I think the yuppie bars might be the worst. And it's down to that dude the with the the coiffed hair and the sunglasses in the corner who flips off Oliver <laughs> Platt. I hate that guy. He's that guy's kind of a delightful asshole, though. Like when when you see an asshole that's so over the top that they've almost come back around to being likable again mm-hmm. because they've gone that far in that direction. It's it's kind of amazing. I'm surprised at how uh, hopping this whole town is. Every like they they go to these three or four bars. <coughs> And uh, they're full. Where are all these people doing? Christmas Eve. Go home. Christmas Eve, everyone's partying hard. Partying so hard. Um, I, I, how would you like to have Dan Castellaneta as your bartender, though? Uh, the, the angry Sydney? Is that, is that his name? Yeah, but deep down, you also know that's Homer Simpson serving you drinks. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I liked Castellaneta in this. That's not Castellaneta. What? No. Who's the bartender? Uh, it's a fellow by the name of Ned Bellamy. He looks like Dan Castellaneta. He does, except for his, his eyebrow ridge is heavier. Hmm. Well, I've seen that man in something else, and now I can't... Oh wait, is he from Seinfeld? Is he the guy that wears the army fatigues? I believe in the he Seinfeld is. Episode? I believe he is. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's that's where that guy is from. Well, now that's even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the army fatigue episode where like Elaine's fighting. Like, what is your problem? What is this horrible thing that you keep avoiding? And he goes, Well. You know, I met this lady and we went on a few dates and I I thought we really liked each other and then and then she just didn't call. <laughs> that was his whole backstory for having like PTSD. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Uh, um oh speed oh I just did a voice and now I get I get to do a new voice. <clears throat> Billy Bob Thornton is in this movie, so I get to do my thing, Blade. 
And we get to hear it. Did did you steal that two million dollars from that man? Don't you hurt that boy. Uh, your sling. It's not every woman makes a man biscuits at two in the morning. Your sling blade sounds like he's got one of those um, those throat things. Mm, no, that would be more like this. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the mm, distinction. That's when you have to talk through an automation. But there's a lag in the system because it has to buffer. <laughs> oh god we uh, well Homer Simpson's not bartending that's sad that's really sad um oh there's there's the most random little side plot of a, a councilman who got drunk and had sex with a stripper and there's photos of him mm-hmm. and I that I think the only way that went was just to get um, Cusack's character with uh, Renata, right? To, like, kind of get those two connected. Because I thought that story might go somewhere else, but it kind of just stays there. No, it absolutely just, uh, I don't know if fizzles is the right word, because it doesn't lead to anything. And I don't think you need it to bring the two of them next to each other because he's got a thing for her. He could have just had a thing for her and kept kind of following her around. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you need that to push them together, but it doesn't seem like it. Uh, Con- that Connie guy Nielsen. looks so, f- that guy looks so familiar, David Pescesi. <laughs> and I mean, he was in groundhog day, but I don't, I don't, I can't recognize what I recognize him from right now, but. The Fugitive, Natural Born Killers. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't, I see those, but I don't recognize what he's from. Oh, Connie Nielsen. Okay, I didn't recognize her at all, but she's in Gladiator and our last episode. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. One of our, one of our episodes that uh, never happened. Nobody in Ms. 45. You got those notes maybe, floating maybe around w- somewhere. Yeah, they're still they're still on my Google Docs. Mm-hmm. That that episode still exists, as does the. Uh... Wait, she was in Sea Fever. Yeah, ah! I saw that, and I was like, I do not remember her in Sea Fever. Wait, she's not in Sea Fever. Yeah, she. What? what? It lists her, but then when I click on Sea Fever, I don't see her. That's confusing. She plays Freya. It says. Mm. Oh, I see that. Maybe she does. Maybe I'm a huge Connie Nielsen fan. Oh, Mission to Mars is good too. I I like. Have you seen Mission to Mars, the De Palma one? Yes. It's super weird, but I really like it. I don't really like it. I gave it a three and a half, but it's a good time. I think it got unfairly. She's in Soldier. <laughs> I'm gonna kill them all, sir. So, uh, have you seen Soldier? I don't think Kurt I've seen Russell? Soldier now. God damn it, Josh! <laughs> why? Why do you not watch? Why do you not watch these bad '90s action movies? That's uh, I don't know. Funny, I've seen a lot of films. I've seen a lot of movies. Oh, I think I think you just pointed it out right there. I've seen a lot of. Films. films yes jackass <laughs> watch a movie sometime okay come down here in the mud pit with the rest of us i prefer cinema and 
<laughs> oh boy. Um okay, so he gets the money, he goes to a bar and he meets Connie Nielsen, Renata, and he's like, Beer? No. I'm gonna live it up. Give me a rum and pineapple. And then he takes a sip of it and he's like, Ugh, it's awful. How could rum and pineapple juice be awful? I was gonna ask, is this a drink? Is that a thing that people drink? Definitely, but just like that's just the most like basic of tropical ingredients. It's like a tropical screwdriver, basically. Mm -hmm. I've never had one, but there's no way that it's like spit it out bad. Uh, I recently found out that my dad is allergic to pineapple, and yet he insists on eating it. Um. Yeah, and he also walks around with one upside down in his shopping cart at the grocery store. I don't know what that means. Uh, pineapples are a sign of swinging. Oh, so okay. if you walk around with a grocery store with a pineapple in a certain orientation or some bullshit, it's supposed to indicate to other swingers that you're, uh, you're out there and happening. You're shopping more for more than your... Uh, your... <laughs> More than just sausage. Mmm. Oh boy. Oh boy. That's uh Billy Bob Thornton tells Cusack to to act normal. And then the first thing Cusack does is goes to this bar and acts weird and orders a weird drink. And Connie Nielsen is like, What's up with you? <laughs> the very first Connie Nielsen next scene that happens. Well But it makes more sense now. Like, initially, I'm like, oh, wow, Connie Nielsen, it can read this guy like a book. Uh, when, in fact, Connie Nielsen has masterminded this whole thing, seemingly. And so, of course, she knows when he walks in after the heist that he's weird because she already knows what's happened. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but initially, I was like, my God, this woman has, uh, she put 10 points into perception. Been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> it's so good. It's so fucking good. Oh my god. Uh, uh the the policeman who continually pulls Cusack over uh throughout the night and then meets his untimely end is played by TJ Jagodowski, who is mm -hmm. a Chicago guy and a big improv dude, and kind of got famous for doing the the sonic commercials several years ago oh wow that is the sonic guy yeah <laughs> wow i remember hearing that those sonic commercials they would just leave a camera on for 30 minutes and let those two guys just fuck around and eventually they would find a 30 second commercial in there yeah it's not that i liked those commercials but i do think that's a fun way to make a commercial I never found them particularly funny, but then again, it's been hard to make me laugh at an advertisement since I was probably 14 and used to look forward to Super Bowl commercials before I realized, I'm like, wait, I don't want to see any commercials. Fuck this. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. What reason is there for watching the Super Bowl then? Uh, seven layer bean dip. Ooh. I'm, it's really good. I'm biased. I, I met my my ex at a Super Bowl party. 
Or that's where we first okay. first bonded. It was Super Bowl Sunday. So it's it's tainted all of football for me. I'll never watch it again. Did when you broke up with your ex, did your very drunk friend then happen to tell you that <laughs> he had been sleeping with her for a whole year before you guys broke up? Yeah, and my uh my response was just hmm. Huh. Like Cusack's here. Cusack's response to all of her Platt telling him that is kind of brutal because Platt Pratt wants the anger and he goes, actually, it makes me curious who she's fucking now. Uh, yeah. And and you see that hits Pratt way harder than uh, a fist or anything else could, because suddenly it dawns on him of Oh fuck. And then dude, that scene where they go into where are they when they go to that family dinner? Is that Pratt's dad's house? It must be, right? No, I it's I think it's her parents' house. Maybe. Could be. Well, it's someone's parents' house. Yeah. Anyway, that oh, that's not a comfortable dinner scene. No, it's up there with like the whiplash uh Thanksgiving meal except for you're gonna have to i don't i don't remember the whiplash thanksgiving meal where uh where whiplash and paul riser are oh having a conversation and then whiplash starts getting mad at the uh the football winning jock cousins and everything yeah but this the whiplash is so cool because whiplash knows that everyone respects a jazz drummer. <laughs> and that's like the the real important thing to do in life is jazz drumming. And Whiplash knows. Whiplash is on top of it, yeah. He, he's he got a legacy <laughs> he's building. Oh, man. Um, dude, but when, when Oliver Platt drunkenly grabs the turkey leg wearing black leather gloves Ugh. and tears into it, it's just disgusting in in so many ways yeah uh later he at the very end actually when you see him he cleans off his tongue by licking one of the gloves (laughs) and it's just (laughs) horrifying so cusack has two kids in the scene and his youngest daughter runs over and hugs him and his teenage son rightfully is like dude fuck off you piece of shit <laughs> and it's just i was i was right there with that son i was like yeah dude tell that guy i was fine with the son yelling at cusack but when he turns to the to his sister uh who was happy that she was in the christmas pageant and he yells you were tiny tim's little sister you didn't even have any lines I'm like okay come on be nice to your kid sister uh, yeah maybe <laughs> Maybe this kid isn't just an asshole to his fa- his shitty father, but maybe the kid's just an asshole in general. We don't really get that much time with him, but yeah, don't 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 attack Timey Tinton's sister. She's gone through a lot. Who's what's Tiny Tim from, by the way? That's a Christmas Carol. I need to. Oh shit! I I meant. I started a Muppet Christmas Carol, I think, three years ago, and I watched the first 30 minutes of it, and I still need to finish it. What? Why can't you finish a (laughs) Muppet Christmas Carol? I just, 
I, I always mean to watch it during the Christmas season, mm-hmm. and then I don't. And here we are again, December 26th. Missed it by that much. Watched it. You can still watch it uh, if you really wanted to. No, because now uh, Virginia, on my other podcast, uh, I think our next movie is a Muppet uh, Treasure Island. With uh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry? Tim Tim Curry. Tim Curry. There you go. That guy. You say it like it's an Indian dish. <laughs> Tim Curry. <laughs> Tim Curry. Like a nice platter of Tim Curry. Oh, man. Um, I like the part where... Cusack says, I have no regrets, and Pratt goes, bullshit, everyone has regrets. Guys our age, what else is there? Then Cusack tells him a little story about his dad and his uncle dying a day apart. And then he says the point of the story is that it's futile to regret. Do you, did you get that from that story? Is that what you, the nugget of wisdom you would have pulled from that particular tale? No, because I thought I thought the particular nugget was going to be that his wild living one eyed uncle lived to the age of eighty eight mm-hmm. and it's better to live, but no, it's actually basically I just reread The Stranger by Camus. Camus. Yeah. And it's basically that thesis of you do one thing, you do another, what's the difference? Everything is going to have the same result in the end, give or take a little bit of time or a little bit of space. So what fucking difference does it make? Cusack's a real downer, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. I don't know why you were watching this as you wrapped Christmas presents. You should be watching something nice. You're not... You're not incorrect now, now that I'm looking at this. Uh, (laughs) Although this is, it's still a very me type of movie. Oh my, this is the most you movie. (laughs) I was also thinking of, this is pretty similar in vain, just not as flashy as a Soderbergh jam, like Out of Sight or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, This doesn't have, this doesn't have the style and the flair that that movie did, but a similar kind of vibe of somewhat comedic characters rolling through a seedy crime world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's spot on, uh, analysis, Sean. Thank you. You're, um, we'll, we'll talk later about that. Actually. I'll, I'll bring that up later. It, it will come up. Okay. Don't worry. Uh, I, so they go to another bar, and Oliver Platt is hitting on the bartender, and it's very uncomfortable. And it it made me think: one is there is there anything worse than being responsible for a friend who's being a complete asshole? Ooh. And then two, I think Oliver Platt, in doing all of this shit, did ensure that the guy at the end of the bar is getting laid. He oh, like yeah, did a yeah. great job wingmanning for this guy by being such a fucking flippant asshole 
I liked how he got dragged out by the seat of his pants, uh-huh. dragging. And he's like, I'm nonviolent for Christmas. And then tears, they tear the back seat of his pants down. And it's, it, that was fun. Uh, he does. Platt is toasted through this entire movie. And I think it's some great drunk acting. His, Have I been saying Oliver Pratt? You've been going back and forth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Uh, but the his puke acting. There's two puke acting scenes in this movie. Uh, Platts. It's only Foley. He just bends over in the car, and you just hear it. And it's, it's only Foley. But the joke of kneeling in a parking lot and then leaning over <laughs> into a car to puke in it. That's very funny. That was one of my favorite jokes from this movie. Right into the passenger seat footwell. <laughs> uh, oh, and the other puking, yeah. Cusack later. It's ridiculous. It's, it, the man clearly has a mouthful of some kind of liquid, mm-hmm. and then he just goes like... <gasps> it just... I'm not buying it, sir. You and this spray acting? No. No. Uh, and at least Platts is because he got, uh, you know, kicked in the berries and, and he's drunk. Like that seems like a combination that would make you puke. Isn't, uh, Cusack like just because the stress of the situation got to him. Uh, I, I think so. I think that's why he pukes. Yeah. And he's been drinking too, but yeah, everybody's um, drinking through this entire oh, it's film. The fing- it's the thing. Fing- he finds the finger in the vice. Oh, okay. That's yeah, what yeah. makes him puke. Yeah. It's right after that. Um, Somewhere in here. The- oh, oh, I like, I like that. Uh, also when they have to uh, bounce Oliver Platt off the curb edge <laughs> to drop his ball back into place. <laughs> Is that a thing? Is that a thing that happens? I, I don't want to know. No, it's a good point. <laughs> Uh, somewhere in here, we find out that the bartender from Renato's bar, uh, or I guess maybe he's the bouncer or something, uh, the Dan Castellaneta looking guy, uh, is taking his kids to Six Flags on Christmas Day. Which are okay. <laughs> okay. I. <laughs> Myopic West Coast thinking. Okay. I'm like, I'm thinking, how is he going to get all the way to Anaheim in one day? Wow. (laughs) He's going to drive from Kansas to California to get to Six Flags on Christmas Day? They're going to, surely they will be closed by the time he gets there. Um, they must have been going to Six Flags St. Louis. That would make more sense. But also... Because Kansas and St. Louis are close to each other? There you go, yes. And Missouri. Missouri. Which is where we keep St. Louis. The state state in which St. Louis and its arches reside. Just the one. Just the one arch. Yep. Yeah, that's One big one. Well, there's a couple McDonald's, too, I think. Hmm. It's a good point. I do believe I ate at a McDonald's when I've been in St. Louis previously. So, do you like when uh, Castellaneta type is also breaking the fingers of the guitar player who's 
violent with the dancer. Mm-hmm. There, that's a good time. Just, uh, I like how nonchalant he is about the the dancer's new boyfriend, and he's just like, "That's a lesson to you if you decide to use her as a punching bag." <laughs> it's just like Donnie or Donnie or Ronnie, yes. Ronnie, Ronnie, Donnie. Yeah, well, they were in high school together for a class that she can't remember, and uh, now they're getting married. That man had a sad haircut, Ronnie Donnie. Uh, he looked like uh, one of the characters from a, a sketch from The State or something with, with that haircut. It, he looks like um, almost like uh, the one of the Gallagher's from Oasis. Mm. It's like a bowl cut and a mullet had sex. And procreated. That's the important part. Not just that they were. Or, yes. or maybe you caught them mid-coitus, I guess. And that's the, <laughs> that is the style they made. <laughs> when a mullet and a bull cut 69, that's what happens. <laughs> uh. Oh, boy. Uh, so yeah, he, he pukes off the bridge. He doesn't get a DUI because the cop wants an in with the mob. Uh, he goes to Vic's house and he sees a gunshot and inside he finds Vic's dead wife who's been seemingly killed by Roy, who's the, uh, the mob enforcer. I felt bad for Roy because I really thought we were never going to see the actor's face. Hmm. We catch like a side glimpse or a back of Roy's head as he's walking around town looking for Charlie, and he seemed familiar. And then we find him later, and he's been locked into a trunk now. And I was like, "Oh, that poor actor!" <laughs> it's almost a completely anon- anonymous performance, but he he gets his face later. Uh, but he's played by uh, Mike Starr, Dumb and Dumber guy. Yep, that's. The gassy guy from Dumb and Dumber. That's I think everyone. That's the only thing most people would know him from. I mean, he's been I, in other stuff, but that's his main. I am betting that more people, it, at least a lot of people, would know him from Goodfellas as well. Really? Yeah. People are still doing that whole Scorsese thing, huh? Yeah, people. Uh, they, they think he, he's kind of neat. Have you seen Mean Streets? <laughs> Did we do this already? Oh, uh, Sean. Did we talk about this last time? Uh, no, you you admitted over uh, messaging that you don't have taste when it comes to your 70s dramas. Mean Streets is shit. <gasps> wow. It's bad. It's, it... The movie doesn't start... For 70 minutes, nothing, just nothing happens for 70 minutes. Oh, nah, nah. Um, I bet you enjoyed the whole, you can't get them in a Lincoln, but a Mercedes is quite spacious. Yes. I bet, I bet you still quote that. It was, I mean, there's a uh, very few chances I have that were, you know, storing stuff in a either a Lincoln or a Mercedes. But I probably would. 
Fair. Yeah. And the people that you would quote it to would just be like, what the fuck is he talking about? Is he trying to sell me a Mercedes right now? Oh, that never bothers me. It's you, you, you can't consider the audience when making a reference like this. You got to do it for yourself. Yeah, I never make random references that have no reference except to me and maybe one other person who may be happening to listen. That doesn't happen. No, that doesn't happen. Um... Oh, I when I like when uh, Ray shoots out the chest because he still has his gun in there, and then Billy Bob gets pissed off when he keeps talking, so he starts swinging violently with a golf club hitting the trunk. And at one point, he seem unscriptedly, seemingly eats shit and falls over, and then while he's fallen on his ass, keeps swinging the club, <laughs> hitting the chest. Uh, how, so Mike Starr, big guy, right? Like, yeah, very big, big man, big man, uh, doesn't look like that sturdy of a trunk. I mean, granted, once he's inside, he's not going to be able to do a whole lot to, to push his way out or anything, but I don't know if it would just handle the bulk of a human. I think the trunk would, I do question how did. Billy Bob fold him in there while he was still alive. Or I mean, I guess he must have made him climb in on his own volition at gunpoint. But I'm also, how are these two men so easily lifting what must be a 300 pound, maybe more trunk like they are? It does. It seems to change weight at different times too. Like, uh, later when they're taking it out to the lake, they're kind of, they have to slide it for a while, but also they can kind of pick it up with one hand each by the handle. Yeah. Did you think of the machinist? Oh, I did not think of the machinist. That is a great. We're going, we're going to a little hillside to slide a body down a hill into a body of water. Uh, and they both two, two episodes in a row. Yeah, they both have the the comedic beat of the apparatus which you're using to transport the body, kind of getting away from you and going down the hill. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they lift it up, they push it down the. Oh, as soon as they see that dock sign, I'm like, okay, somebody is going in this. This dock is going down. Mm-hmm. It's got to. Someone's. This chest is so heavy and. They lift it up, and somehow Roy pops out. Oh, he shoots He shoots Billy Bob through the chest when they lift him up, and then he shoots the lockout, doesn't he? Yeah. I guess, I guess he shoots the lock. I don't know how he gets an angle on anything the way he's cramped up in there. Yeah, it seems like he can't point his gun towards the door. Right. But, um, but yeah, he shoots Vic, and then... Um, Oh, but before that, we started, Roy started to talk about how Vic was the one that killed his own wife, and Vic was the one that, Vic has all of his fingers still, and Vic is clearly a bit of a lunatic. So he's, Roy is saying that the Vic's plan is to off Cusack uh, once they dump the bodies. And abscond with the whole two million one hundred thousand eight hundred fifty three dollars or whatever it is. 
Which, yeah, if if Vic is so casual and nonchalant about one, first he just says that, oh yeah, my wife, I wouldn't give up the money for her, and he, <laughs> this idiot hitman thought I love my wife. Can you believe that? All right. It's like once, even if he just plays that card, not that he killed his own wife, yeah, he's not gonna let Cusack live. If he's gonna let his wife die for this, then uh, Cusack is done for. I I do like how the movie keeps the the rather the low stakes plates spinning of like the little drama of driving Oliver Platt around and the family stuff. Uh, even though you only see uh, Cusack's ex slash Oliver Platt's current wife in one scene, and I don't think she has any lines. Maybe she says no. Merry Christmas or something, but that's it. Maybe. Uh, in that scene, yeah, the, the kids and the father character are and the mother-in-law are the only ones who have lines. I don't, I don't think the... The wife ex character says a single word. Mm-hmm. Sarah Beth. Sarah Beth. So, anyways, uh, Vic is shot in the stomach, and Vic shoots Roy in the chest. And I, I like that moment where he says, "You're dead, Roy. Don't just stand there pretending you're not." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then after that, the the dock collapses. We fall into the ice, or Vic does. And uh, this is the part where basically, like, now Cusack has the upper hand here. John Doe's got the upper hand. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but it's, he still doesn't know where the money is. And he seems so sure of himself of knowing where the money is. And I'm like, dude, you should probably check before you make any drastic decisions here. But nope, he doesn't. There's the beat where Billy Bob is uh, falling in the lake and he can't swim, which, come on, he's a grown man. Uh, but, you know, he's been shot in the chest and also falling into ice water can just shock your system to the point of you can't, you can almost like not move. Yeah, I don't think you need a line about him not being able to swim. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's the beat where Cusack goes back to get the wife's body to throw it on top of Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> <laughs> as he's drowning. Uh, and he couldn't have taken an extra 20 seconds at that point to look in the bag to verify that it was not full of money. Right, while he's getting the body? Yeah. Yeah. Still a funny way to drown what turns out to be a very shitty evil man Mm -hmm. by drowning him with his wife's murdered body. And Uh, it would seem like uh, that's kind of the culmination of the crime part because they've barely mentioned the big boss. The, Barely mentioned the big boss. The, the top dog. Until until Renata gives him a phone call asking him to come meet her. Mm-hmm. And then we zoom back and see she's at gunpoint. And at this point, I'm, I, I'm like, oh, shit. Who's it going to be? Who's the big mob boss that we've been talking about this whole time? And my guess was Robert Loja. 
Ooh. Loja would have been good. He might have been too old. Yeah, I was going to say. Or not, not, may have even been dead at this point. <laughs> not, uh, not physically imposing as what we actually get. Oh, okay. So what we actually get made me literally shout, Randy Quaid. <laughs> I was very surprised that that was who was in this movie. But was Cousin Eddie in Vacation? Is Cousin Eddie in Vacation? I don't believe so. I believe I, don't, I believe he is a <clears throat> introduced as being part of the family in Christmas Vacation. Okay. Hey, Robert Loja in 2005 would have been 75. So he definitely could have been a... He still could have been a scary, imposing mob guy. I don't know that Robert Loja could take a bunch of birdshot to the face at 75. <laughs> well, maybe... Maybe you have Robert Loja with a very, you know, he has this, like, trusted right-hand man assassin guy that's with him at all times. Mm. Maybe you go that route. Got it. Uh, yeah, oh, Randy Quaid calls them fart hammers. <laughs> Yo, never, I've never heard that phrase before. That was a new one. <laughs> um. So, yeah, this is, like, the big shootout part of the movie where... Uh, Cusack sneaks in and he shoots Randy Quaid in the face with birdshot and we think everything's okay, but she's like, no, it's birdshot, you idiot. He's not dead. He gets a knife in the shoe. I always love a knife through the shoe. That's always a great move in movies. Uh, Cop hears the gunshots. He runs in. He immediately gets shot in the head. See you later, Sonic. Uh. And, uh. When when Cusack gets stabbed in the in the shoe, he imme- they immediately make him look like shit. <laughs> Getting stabbed in the foot apparently gave him jaundice. Yes, he's got bags <laughs> under his eyes. He's like, you know, finally Very looks finally looks sick for the first time in the movie. <laughs> Renata starts stabbing Randy Quaid with scissors and. Then he gets her, and he's about to execute her, and then Cusack uh, goes point-blank, and apparently point-blank birdshot will still get the job done. What'd you think of them just throwing... (laughs) It looked like they took a bucket, a Home Depot bucket, and filled it with blood, and just threw it on on the actress here at the end. It's so much blood, and her uh, response, because it is like a, a massive... Splurt? It would would you call it a splurt of blood of blood that hits the wall and her face? It's like a squilch of blood. Ah, squilch sounds cute. I think a squilch would be a slightly smaller amount of blood. A a, a glurb. Okay, a glurb yes, of blood. a glurb. It is a full glurb that she gets pelted <laughs> with in this scene. Uh and. It doesn't look like the rest of the blood that we've seen. Actually, it looks slightly faker than the it rest looks, of it. It reminded me, just thinking of it now, of Argento blood. Mm-hmm. Where it almost looks like they just bought some red paint. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so all is well now. And Renata 
and Cusack, they may not have the money, but they have the love. Oh, but wait. Mm. Maybe Renata does have the... She didn't do a very good job of hiding that money. It, she put it in her closet, didn't cover the bag with anything, and then left the closet doors open, and then took a shower and just left Cusack alone to snoop around. Because she thinks he's a dope. Because he has been a dope. Well, as, as, as they say, Quaid says, would you rather, speaking of Cusack and Billy Bob, would you rather a brain and no dick or a dick and no brains? But she should know by this point that after Cusack birdshot executes Randy Quaid, uh, maybe don't underestimate this guy's uh, p- uh, potential for violence. Yeah, he's taken care of Billy Bob Thornton, uh, Roy, and Randy Quaid, Quaid to the head. Like... He's on a he's on a spree. He's a spree killer. Is what's happened here. <laughs> and it, and it doesn't stop because as uh, we get these little flashbacks where Cusack realizes <gasps> Thornton and Connie Nielsen were Renata were in cahoots to take the money from him the whole time. It's... I I don't I mean clearly with Renata I think she was just playing the game of I don't care which horse wins this race because they're both dumb enough to think that they that I love them or something mm-hmm. like she so clearly has them wrapped around her finger so easily that you know she she basically coerces John Cusack and be like yeah but you love you're in love with me right I mean you are you are. You know you are. And so, yeah. At, uh, fun reveal, though, at the end where I like her gold robe. Very fancy. Mm-hmm. Very fancy gold robe. Um, but when she goes to uh, have the sweet embrace with him and he shoots her and then we see that she was, like, just about to slit his throat. You know, you know there's no honor amongst thieves, as I've often said when I've tried to coin that phrase. Oh, that was you. That was me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Whoa, you've heard it? You've heard that. Uh, something similar. Coined and minted. Job done. <laughs> uh, I do like how she was telegraphed from the start to be the femme fatale, though. Like, the dudes in this look very early 2000s. Um, you know, their their suits just kind of everything about them is from that era. And she is very classic looking her, her hair, what she's wearing looks like a updated Veronica Lake, uh, you know, from classic film noir. Uh, yeah, we should probably watch some of those sometime. Cause I don't know who Veronica Lake is. Oh, Sean, we're off to a bad start. Demolition man X Maltese Falcon. <laughs> Yes, there we go. <laughs> a little bit of me, a little bit of you. <laughs> uh, so, into this movie, Cusack's in his car with the money, and there's a broken down RV, and it's 
it's not Homer Simpson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he offers to siphon, let him siphon some gas. And, well, one, Homer Simpson is like, <clears throat> Who lets you, you borrow an RV and doesn't tell you the tank is empty? And it's like, bro, that's on you when you get in that car and look at the fucking gas gauge. Yeah, they're not it's near also town. On, it's not on them to, if you're borrowing their vehicle... It's not on them to also gas it up for you. Right. Even if it is your mother or mother-in-law or whatever it is that he's saying. I guess his mother, because he oh, seems to be a single Can you dad. believe these mother-in-laws out there in the world? I mean, they're ridiculous. Have you heard of these things? <laughs> um, I thought we were going to have a really weird black comedy ending of... Okay, the whole you can talk about the Wichita Falls thing that he's writing, but he's riding on the back of this RV, and the guy backs up a little bit and hits him. And I thought that was going to kill John Cusack by hitting his head on the concrete, and that would be the end of the movie. That would be amazing. <laughs> what? As Wichita Falls, so falls Wichita Falls? Yeah, man. Is the fuck does that mean? <laughs> uh and it comes back like four times in the movie i think so cusack this is his calling card this is his graffiti artist calling card but he saw it elsewhere because i don't think he was the originator of the first two times you see it you don't no because he seems bemused by it or amused by it i'm sorry to use a word incorrectly there. He seems amused by it when he sees it in the bathroom. Are you bemused by something if it's slightly less than amused and if it's you're just average then it's a seemused? Yes. That is exactly the scale of uh musement. Sometimes you're real f muse. The the band muse is just right there, right in the middle. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and then that he's not dead. He gets back in the car and then we get a weird little like buddy moment of like, oh, let's bring some nice levity, brevity into this as, oh, that was a Virginia thing. That was, was did you make up that? Uh, I can't, I lose <laughs> my podcast are getting all mixed up. I can't remember what's a reference on which show anymore, <laughs> but we get a nice little buddy moment where. Pete wakes up and it says it's heaven and they have pancakes and Oliver Platt looks like a little happy kid in the backseat. So, you know, maybe these two guys are going to find uh, some kind of return to their American manhood out there on the open road or wherever they're going. Uh, someplace where snow is illegal, I think, as Billy Bob Thornton says earlier. Some place where <laughs> their annoying kids that are too clingy won't find them. Yeah. Uh, Some place where they don't have extradition laws because there's still all those murders to account for. Yes. Oh, also, I thought ICE would have a more prominent role in this movie. Like... All of this would be taking place during an ice storm, and it shows that it rains during 
there's a lot of snow on the ground and it shows there's this huge rainstorm and i thought that rainstorm would stop and freeze and then you would we would have like the roads are all covered in ice and that would come more into the plot of things yeah it comes up at the very beginning when the first time Cusack gets pulled over because he does like a 360 a one yeah yeah some kind of and then the icy lake yeah and that's it but they're yeah. they're like careful it's like a skating rink out here and uh i think he falls down once and there's that scene in the car and that's it seems like it could have and they never also do you want to know what a good ice harvest movie is a, a good ice harvest and, movie yeah so in the world of the expanse the books okay in the outer planets and way out in space and like the asteroid belts there's ice harvesters who go out into these asteroid belts with their ships and laser cut huge chunks of ice to then bring those ice chunks back to the uh like the main ships and uh colonies to melt down for water that's a good movie interesting it's basically and then but then there's an emergency signal when they're on their way out to get more ice and they're like but we're just ice harvesters that's not our job and it's like but you'll get paid more and it's also in the contract and then they there's the signal and they go out there and they find these weird like egg things and then the egg things attached to one of the guy's masks and then it's on his face and yeah uh i've got someone knocking on my door in the midst of you you keep going with this i want to hear about this i thought you (laughs) i thought it was the lawyers ridley scott's lawyers yeah they're very upset about it (laughs) oh okay well this is awkward now that it's just us here. Um, I'm going to be honest. This movie is not very good at all. And I don't want to hamper Josh's Christmas spirit, but it's like just not that fun. But I'm going to be nice. Okay. Hey, bud. Oh, no. What? Oh, no. The, you've been whispering secrets. Was, were, you, were you cease and desisted by really? Baby! Oh, there she goes. Bye, baby. Yeah, I was cease and desisted by uh, Dan O'Bannon's uh, legal team. That's a great name, <clears throat> Dan O'Bannon. Anyway, wrapping up the ice harvest, we're at the end here. Do you have anything else on this one? Um, no. My, my notes say no. What does your heart say? My heart says yes. <laughs> my my dark little uh, coal-like heart says, yeah, still still liked it pretty well. It's, uh, I would, I'm rating it three and a half. It's not great, but it is better than average. And I like the, even though I'm not in the same place, I appreciate its nihilistic cynicism with maybe a, like a, a twinge of hope at the end. They try it. They they play a happy song. Yeah. 
Oliver Platt's there, they talk about pancakes, and they play a song in a major key that's strumming on a guitar. Like, they try. Yeah. What other Christmas movies have you brought to the show? It was Home for the Holidays and Wonderful Life. Um, and Pierre Noel, uh, Dial Code cool. Santa Claus. That one. Buddy, I am sorry, but you are one for four on your holiday picks. Yeah. This this is a two and a half for me. It's fine. It There was some parts that made me laugh, and it was, you know, the actors, you know, Billy Bob's a great actor, and it was hilarious to see Randy Quaid. Um, but it was just just a downer of a movie where it's more interested in being kind of a bummer than telling a good story. Um, I would have liked... It's it's a heist movie, but they completely skip the heist. And in heist movies, the heist is always the best part. And it, this movie's like, okay, we're going to start it like, in the last minute of the best part of the movie is where we're going to start. And it's like, cool. I just missed the cool movie, and now I'm watching the kind of more boring, sad movie. Interesting. I, I think oftentimes the uh, heist is perfunctory at best. And No, that's where you get to see all the stuff happening. And you like to see stuff happening, not just people, uh, sad people monologuing in a variety you, of drunken you, listen, places. Listen, okay, you, when you watch Heat... You watch it so Robert De Niro and curly hair what's-her-face sit on top of the hill looking over L.A. and have some conversation about their souls. <laughs> okay? I watch Heat for... Okay? It's the difference between you and me. You like films. Oh. I like movies. Got it. I think uh, I watch Heat for the scene where uh, the cops get made in the middle of that big shipping shipping yard. I like that scene. Okay, that's that's a good scene. Yeah, that's a weird scene to be like. That's my scene in Heat, though. That one, and when the guy leans against the side of the truck. That's the same scene. <laughs> no, it's two separate scenes. There's a. Uh, because one's daylight, one's when they're oh, gonna, one's okay. they're gonna, but they're they gonna get made twice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You just like it when cops get made in movies, apparently. <laughs> yes. Boy, you should watch Donnie Brasco. You would probably love it. I almost did the other night. I remember the only thing I remember with that movie is uh, Johnny Depp speaking Spanish is pretty funny. Hmm. I was. This close to doing a double of Donnie Brasco and Blow. Oh, I was thinking of Blow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't like those movies. I just, I'm not a Depp guy. I can't think of a single Johnny Depp movie that I like. Is, uh, you consider... Secret Window? Oh. Maybe? That, that'd be a weird one to pull out. I, I, that's a forgotten movie. I liked it when I was, uh... In high school. You, that, that 
would be a great movie to watch after playing Alan Wake. Or Alan Wake 2. I'll never play Alan Wake 2 because Alan Wake 1 was uh, kind of boring. Ooh. Hot take. Yeah. Do you have a way to transition us to break? Um, we could take a we could take a break. We could. That sounds good. All right, let's do that. Perfect. Welcome back from the break. Next movie we're going to be talking about is Home Alone from 1990, uh, directed by Christopher Columbus. Not the bad Christopher Columbus, but the good one, the Chris Columbus. And written and produced, maybe more importantly, by John Hughes. And this was my choice. This was a movie that, God, I wish I could remember seeing it in theater. Uh, but as basically as long as I can remember, this has been an important movie to me. And um, I watch it every single year. And sometime in December, and it just keeps meaning a lot to me. So, Josh, when was the last time you saw this? When did you first see it? Is this is this movie? Is this a an age gap movie for us? No, I would not say it is. It was uh, like ten, I was like ten or eleven. This still hit pretty pretty perfectly for me when I first saw it. Um, I don't think I went to the, to the theaters to see it though. I do think it was on home video. So I probably would have been 91 would have been the first time I saw it. So I might've been 12, 12 when I first saw it. Uh, although I did find out that home alone was like one of the top grossing movies of 1990 and one of the top grossing movies of 1991. Because it was released oh, over wow. the holidays, and it held on to that for the whole year. That's impressive. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize this movie had box office fire like that. Oh, it it was it was boffo box office. Well, I, I mean, Culkin was huge, and then I remember there was a lot of hype for Home Alone Two: Lost in New York, mm-hmm. and I had I had like a Where's Waldo, but it was a Where's Kevin book uh, of New York City for the second one and you could spot the the sticky bandits as they're known in that one hidden in all, all these like little hidden things in the drawings they're I'm sorry they're the sticky bandits in the second one oh yeah no they they evolve they evolve interesting you've never seen the second one I might have seen it uh, once when it first came out. I remember at least the marketing for the Talkboy. Oh, yeah. It pushed Talkboy hard. Uh, And I remember instead of... um, Credit card? You've got it. uh, Instead of Old Man Marley, they've got a a woman with birds in the second one, isn't there? Yes. And uh, Tim Curry. Oh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry is in it. Tim Curry. <laughs> and and Rib Schneider is in it. R- Rib Schneider? Rib Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it, watch two sometime, but also don't, 
watch it when you haven't watched one for a while because it really does hit so many of the same beats and plot points and jokes of the first movie that if you watch them too close together you'll you'll get bored with the second one especially with the runtime yeah cuz i still like it but i just made the mistake i think a year i think it was last year of watching these movies too close together it's like um i think during quarantine i watched the three naked gun movies mm. maybe in one day or really close together and my god that was such a bad idea <laughs> just like well so the first one the first naked gun is so amazing but that humor if you're overexposed to that zucker brothers slapstick humor too much it it all just becomes meaningless and Already, uh, the so much of that is recycled from the TV show. In that case, yeah, but I've only seen the TV show Naked Gun. Uh, I think I've only been once through. How it was? What six episodes? Yeah, I think so. It was really short. But anyway, so Home Alone. Um, this movie had like a big impact on me because I think. In some ways, it made me a bit of an asshole child because mm. because you we see Macaulay Culkin in this kind of get rewarded when he kind of pretends to be an adult or behaves more more. I I don't. It's 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 like he pretends to be a little grown up. And then he gets, like, rewarded, and adults find it endearing in these movies. And so then as a kid, I think it made me think that I could, like, overstep my bounds more with adults and be more of a pain in the ass, and people would still find me endearing. It's a bigger problem with the second one, I think. Uh, Kevin McAllister's attitude Mm -hmm. is worse when he's lost in New York City. In this one, he stays a little more humble in the beginning. Uh was your family also full of horrible, horrible people who just scream all the time? Yes. my <laughs> Yes, me and my five siblings, we would hang out with my uncle's kids and their six kids. Mm-hmm. And there's... This is... This family is the reason that we have overpopulation problems on this planet. You don't need 11 kids split between two brothers you're just being greedy uh, our uh uncle frank is is john hurd's brother is that your contention i i guess it's not ever really stated if it's his brother or her brother Catherine o'hara's but oh he is listed as uncle frank McAllister, so it it would be a okay uh, from the the father's side, and, you know, unless he married in, <laughs> I, I kind of I kind of like Uncle Frank's a dick, but mm-hmm. was he was he entirely in the wrong when he goes, "Look what you did, you little jerk"? I you don't talk to an eight year old like that when the eight year old ruins pizza dinner for everyone. Listen, Buzz ate his pizza on purpose. 
It's not his fault. I don't know. I couldn't tell if Buzz... So, there's a comment that everyone drink all the milk, because I don't want any left and we're leaving. Mm -hmm. So, and then Buzz starts like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, is he choking? But then he talks. So, I think he just ate so much pizza and drank so much milk that he's now going to puke. I mean... I didn't get what happened to Buzz, but then, of all the times for Kevin to choose to attack his big brother, attack him at his most vulnerable. Yeah. That's smart, smart thinking on that regard. <laughs> uh, I was amazed at how <clears throat> tightly they set everything up in this first scene, in the first couple scenes. Right? Like, oh, he's going to have to get milk later because they're, they drank all the milk. Like... That's just one of the things. The the micro machines, they set that up that uh the ant already yeah. slipped on the micro machines. Yeah. The whole uh, geography of the house is set up so that you understand it later without being told. Uh yeah. It's it's pretty great. And I to start with the very beginning. Great title card, especially, I'm sorry to say, but uh, Ice Harvest has the laziest title card. It's just a shot of the a nativity scene at a church, and then there's little baby Jesus, and it starts raining on him, and then in white font, it just says, Ice Harvest. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, man. Put a little bit of effort into this. The Home Alone, with the blue house, with that John Williams score coming through, oh, it, and then that little E, that little tiny E, why is that E so little on the end? I don't know. I'm confused by it. Because it's been forgotten. All the other letters are big and bold and uh, grown-ups and older kids. And then there's just that little E on the end that gets forgotten about. Uh, this score is incredible. Mm-hmm. I gonna contend that john williams is a good composer um yeah back up your your statement there (laughs) come on give me some proof uh jaws what i mean jaws jaws and uh indiana jones Uh uh-huh and uh et he probably was involved with Schindler's List. Was he? I've never, I've never seen Schindler's List. It's because you don't watch films. I don't watch films. <gasps> Demolition Man, Schindler's List. <laughs> he was. He did do <laughs> Schindler's kidding. List. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how about that? Um, I used to, I used to date this girl and um in our 20s and it was i found little ways to make her emotional and to like tap into her emotional side and you got a kid sneaking up behind you have child of the corn behind you (laughs) (laughs) i thought you were about to get stabbed about to get murdered um i used to with my girlfriend i used to be able to just go Stop right 
And she started, stop it, stop it. She started to get misty eyed just Aww. from just from that little. It's beautiful. It's it fits so well with Christmas, and then the the more ominous like oboes and when you get Harry and Marv sneaking around doing their thing Mm -hmm. and then towards the end of this movie oh my god we go from the church where we hear carol of the bells to this like rocking version when he's running home from the church back home and he's prepping everything and there's drums and it's like it's like hell yeah dude i'm fucking pumped right now The, uh, we can agree though, this family is terrible. They're our family. They're the family that would raise a Patrick Bateman. They are what the French would call les incompetents. Okay, except for her. When I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, when she did, I was like, okay, I'm into her. Yeah. You're into her? Yeah. She's going to, you could tell that she's going to grow up to be one of the real, like, true yuppie fancy ones of those kids. Mm -hmm. Because there's, like, a curly uh, brown-haired girl who's in charge of counting all the other kids, and it's like, okay, she's pretty... She seems to have her head on her shoulder. She seems cool and low-key and down-to-earth, but... Yeah, no, these these kids are all kind of nightmares in their own way. Uh, We get... um, Returning to the show... Special guest, Buzz, mm-hmm. whatever that actor's name is. Devin Ratray. De- Devin R- Ratray? <laughs> <laughs> like, like a rat with a laser on its head? Yeah, Ratray. Rat, Ratray. <laughs> That's like uh, Scooby, Scooby-Doo giving you directions. <laughs> that was a real joke. That was a real joke. Good for you. Oh, thank you. Good for you. <laughs> He's returning from uh, from Blue Ruin. Oh, that was too good. I don't think you've ever made a better joke. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Um, everyone in this family... Is pretty shitty. Yeah, I'll agree. Uh, I don't, I don't like their attitude about the airport. And it's like, in my notes, I took it. One of my notes is, oh, so the McAllister family is the one that holds everything up for everyone else and doesn't give a shit about it. Mm-hmm. They're entitled. I mean, so entitled. They they live in the Silver Tuna house. Sorry? That's what Joe Pesci calls it later. The house is the silver tuna. (laughs) Okay. I thought this was like a specific reference that like Chicagoans call that house the silver tuna. They probably do now. Bill Bill Parcells lives there in his old age. Uh, The... Because Bill Parcells was the big tuna, but in his old age, he would be the The silver silver tuna. tuna. I have two podcast co-hosts who I can't make a single fucking sports joke with, and it just kills me. It just kills me because that's 
That's all I got, man. That's all I got. Well, you got your you got your little movies. <laughs> I do have my little movies. Um, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Uh, we also get the introduction of uh Robert's Blossom as Old Man Marley in this opening sequence. Oh. As the years go by, I'm struck more and more by his performance. I genuinely think he gives like a beautiful performance in this movie. And it also really struck me watching it this time that I kind of aspire to be old man Marley. Morley. Marley. Oliver Pratt. <laughs> I aspire to be a bearded, thinning-haired old man with crazy eyes and a heart of gold. And I'm well on my way. Yeah, I really think you're doing it. I can, <laughs> I was, I can I was see just you. Kind of, I, 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 looked, I looked at him today, and it, or yesterday when I watched this movie, and just for a fleeting moment, I was like, Wow, I'm looking into my future right now. This is really fascinating. Similar to when I would watch The Onion Night on Game of Thrones. It's like, oh, okay, this is... I, I, I can rock that. I can deal with this if this is who I'm going to be. That's okay. I can be Liam Cunningham. But Robert's Blossom is um, amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, well. We'll get to the end later, but after the shittiness of every other character, and including Kevin being a shitty character uh, oftentimes, we, uh, old man Marley grounds this movie and brings it back to the heart that it so desperately needs and like ties it all together. To the point where, by by the end, it doesn't feel like a cynical movie full of assholes. It it does feel heartwarming and um, just like feeling like close to family, even if your family kind of sucks, mm-hmm. which is a great message, or especially around Christmas. Not that my family kind of sucks. <laughs> the uh, also the tale of the South Bend shovel slayer or shovel slasher. Which Slayer. Slayer. Uh, I grew up, like, I was born in South Bend. So That's right. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. It's, like, right there. Uh, which weirded me out when I was a kid. Because, in my mind, um, like, Chicago, I knew where Chicago was, but the suburbs were, like, far away for some reason. I don't know why. But... I wonder, I would like to see a map of John Hughes's uh, Chicagoland area. Um, I he, Old Man Marley says, I know there's a rumor going around that I'm, there's bad rumors about me, but they're not true. Are they not true, though? I feel like this man may be a South Bend shovel slayer mm-hmm. who also has a heart of gold. Yeah, people can. I'm be not complex. convinced this man is not a murderer. No, I absolutely think he he very well could be a murderer, and 
I don't know that I would blame him for it. He probably had good he, reasons for those he, murders. I know I keep saying he has a heart of gold, but he also exhibits <laughs> behaviors of a sociopath, which I will talk about later when we get towards the end of this movie. <laughs> um, but what else? Oh, uh, I'll talk the set design. This was something that my brother-in-law pointed out to me a few years ago that I, I, I never made full mental note of it, but this movie feels so Christmassy. And one of the reasons is that almost every single thing in the McAllister household is green or red. Mm -hmm. There's almost not a single other color palette in that house. When they go to France and they're in the hotel, it feels completely wrong because it's like a green blue. Yeah. Everything is a green blue uh, and silver. uh, yeah, and it feels so wrong. And mm-hmm. then you get back to the McAllister house, and immediately I feel cozy and warm and Christmassy. So it's just such a cool set design. And it's such a massive house, and all the rooms are huge. And I, you know, partially they do that to make Kevin even smaller than he already is. Uh, but it still feels cozy. Like all those rich, warm tones makes it feel like a big. Coe's Fest. Um, so to get a little bit into the plot, Kevin is a forgotten about young kid and on the eve of a trip gets into a big family fight. I like when Fuller, Kieran Culkin, mm-hmm. gets his nose squished when someone backs their chair up against the wall. Uh-huh. <laughs> he gets squished against the wall. That's a funny moment. Um, so he gets left up in the loft and... Then, of course, there's a power outage, Deus Ex Machina style, and it really... So, Josh, if you if your alarm goes off and your flight leaves in 45 minutes, are you rushing to the airport? I'm assuming I'm not making I'm, my flight. I'm just saying, well, all right, well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that sucks. But... The there's like the entitlement of that, but then also the hubris of like this family has one alarm clock, one alarm clock for 14 people, and it like just come on, nobody, come on, nobody has like a wind up, uh, like a clock clock, it's one digital clock in the parents' room, and really, all 14 people are going to oversleep. Yes. Yeah. Like nobody just woke up to take a leak and they're like, oh, the power's out. Yeah. Even Fuller didn't wake up to take a leak well, after he, drinking all of that Pepsi. Fuller famously just wets the bed. So. Fair. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. That's going to put you even further behind in the morning when you wake up and Fuller is soaking wet and you got to throw him in the shower before he can get in the van. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh, and then when they're doing the counting, counting heads outside the van, that neighborhood kid is so annoying. When he walks up to the guy, the van driver is like, does this get good gas mileage? Is this far away? Have you been to France? Is it nice there? Is it cold there? It's Oh, my God. This kid and going through their bags. He's going through their stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like the run, 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 Rudolph airport run. Just as a, whenever I hear that song, I think of that scene. Mm. 
Um, so Kevin wakes up and he's all alone. And he uh, at one point goes down to the basement and I have a question about the furnace and also what scary stuff you had in your childhood house. But what's going on with this furnace? Is this I don't under I've never seen a furnace like this. It has to be a gas furnace. But it also takes wood. It looks like a wood burning stove that feeds the whole house, but there's no way the McAllisters are going down into their basement to load firewood into a furnace. Right. I I don't know. It's it's I like don't know what's going on with this thing. One part of their basement is Freddy Krueger's lair. <laughs> yeah. Good way to put it. Uh, uh but did did you have scary or anything like that in your childhood house that freaked you out? The house that I lived in with my grandparents uh, before we moved out to the countryside had a basement with like a coal chute. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. And that was a great basement. Um, I mean, but it was not finished at all. You couldn't really, I guess the, was the laundry down there. It's so weird the way that, you know how memories work, Sean? It's kind of weird, uh, but I don't remember anything specifically scary except for that you couldn't turn on the light till you got to the bottom of the stairs. And then you... Oh, that's 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 a good design. Yeah. Uh, so you're walking the into the inky blackness. staircase is one designed it in the dark. Yes. Uh, and it's creaky and the whole place smells weird. Uh, my great-grandmother's basement had multiple rooms in it. And like, it also wasn't finished, but it was like stone and had multiple rooms. And one of them was just her, uh, where she kept all her canned goods, like, you know, in case of apocalypse or what have you, uh, that was, that freaked me out. Just the idea of it. She also did have mannequins and things in her basement, like dressmakers, uh, blanks and whatnot. Yes. The fact that the, the McAllisters have a mannequin somewhere in this house, I just, that's creepy. It's having mannequins around. And like a few of them, because there's enough that he can stage a whole party later. It makes me think that the McAllisters, one of them is the maniac from Maniac. maniac. <laughs> the the titular maniac. The titular maniac. Um, I didn't have, I don't remember any specific childhood stuff. Um, just that there was like a, a long hallway that leading from like one end of the house to the living room. And I would convince myself there was, there'd be something behind me, but I didn't want to run down the hallway. Cause then it'd be like embarrassing that I'd be scared. Mm -hmm. So I would just try to like speed walk, but I could feel like something behind me in my mind you know and so i always wanted to run but would try to force myself to walk i was also afraid at one point that like i'd walk past this one room and i had just seen beetlejuice and there would be some form of beetlejuice being like super scary in there 
Just just a regular old Beetlejuice hanging out in there. Even no, though you didn't summon, the one, summon him. There's more of the one where he's the carnival thing where his arms unfurl mm-hmm. and then turn into big mallets and just that uh, that that whole visual. Beetlejuice kind of freaky. Yeah, uh it teeters on that line. Um, so this, this movie just has so much like childhood stuff where this time I had to pause it when when Kevin goes into Buzz's room and climbs up and gets his secret chest and opens it up and um this is where everything collapses, right? All the shelving and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the spider escapes. But I had to take note of what was in there because like I thought this was the coolest like treasure chest when I was a kid. And so there's a first basement, junior mints, Twinkies, flat cakes, Toyota magazine, um, Playboy magazine, gold bond powder, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which and firecrackers. But for some reason, I thought there was like it's like the coolest treasure trove. Um, when he says "Buzz your girlfriend, Wolf," uh-huh. I believe that is a picture of one of the producer's sons in a in a wig because they felt bad about saying that about a little girl yes i've heard that (laughs) Uh, that's pretty funny i i do like the the foley when he sets it down the glass shatters (laughs) (laughs) okay i didn't pick that up um so knowing you i bet you would be dying to watch angels without wings the feature length film angels with uh filthy souls Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, shit. Angels Without Wings. That's a song by the band Zao. Zao. <laughs> that sounds like... Your, your, your COVID brain fog has really gotten to me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Angels with Filthy Souls. That's right. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. It'd be right at, my, right at my alley. And also, but, on top of the VCR, there's a Springsteen concert tape. It's perfect. Is there? Yes. I'm more into Springsteen now after listening to the You Talking You Two to Me guys oh, nice. covering Springsteen. He's got some good songs. Uh, I thought it was all kind of crappy dad rock, and a lot of it is. But there's also a lot of really heartfelt, good, melancholic, somber stuff going on, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, But so Angels with Dirty Soul, that's... What kind of noir would you describe that as? Because that's like very old-timey noir, right? It, I don't think it'd be a noir. It's a gangster picture. That's a... Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a like a, a Scarface type. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I, I really like sledding downstairs. That's fun. There's a couple of cuts in this movie where they you can spot that they they swap for the stuntman and suddenly Kevin is like a five foot four thick adult man <laughs> going through some of these stunts, whether it's on the zip line or <laughs> launching on the sled out the front door. Um, but this was all just like shit that like when I was a kid, it's like oh my god, could you imagine if I was Kevin McAllister and just like doing whatever I wanted in the house and just like and not having 
I think I also had the thought of like, oh boy, I remember when I was a kid, Kevin has that whole speech early in this movie of like, I wish I didn't have a family and I don't want to see any of you ever and I just want to be alone. And as a kid, I was like, yeah, I, I kind of get that. And then I'd play the game of life, the board game. And when I would get married, I hated it because I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have kids. And so I was sometimes I'd put my wife in the back seat, <laughs> or, or I would get a second car and I would drive my own car and my family would be in their own car behind me. And now I'm 37 and terribly, terribly alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sean. You're re- regretting that second car now, huh? So I think this movie may have done some real damage to me. Oh, boy. Josh, did you ever have crunch taters? No, I was going to look those up. Uh,. They were like a spicy jalapeno chip. I had to look them up because I don't remember ever seeing them. And uh, yeah, they were discontinued in the 90s. But they seemed like they were ahead of their time. It was just like a spicy tortilla chip. Hmm, nice. I would have gone for that. Uh, What about a tato skin? I've had potato skin. No, there was a, a Keebler product. Uh, called Tato Skins that was, uh, I don't know. They were thick and they were like, Hey, you know, the part of the potato that you usually don't eat, <laughs> we're going to make a chip. That's like that. They're- Tato Skin sounds like the name of a hall of fame linebacker. Is this a- I'm also maybe just thinking of a linebacker who was named Takeo Spikes. Ooh, that's a good name. It is, I know. Believe me. Better name than football player. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Takeo. I know, I know you're an avid fan. I'm sorry. You had a great career. Uh, oh, so, I in my notes, now I have, look at this kid. He's shopping for groceries like an adult. Look at this kid, he's doing laundry! Like, like, can you believe this kid? He's asking about the American Dental Association? He's so grown up! Is Now, is this cute and endearing, or is this just more signs of his, uh, like, entitlement? I think when I was young, a li- more column A. Mm-hmm. Now as I'm old, more column B. Okay. Of, like, a kid walks out to me like, is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? Like, shut the fuck up, kid. Just brush your goddamn teeth. Who cares? God, leave me alone. Also, so I guess the conceit is that uh, they packed his toothbrush to go to France, but he hadn't packed. Oh. He hadn't packed his stuff the night before. That was very relatable. The whole theory of like, how do I pack? Mm-hmm. How 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 do how do I pack my suitcase? That that definitely took me back to 
like eight years old and my mom like all right set some clothes out for the trip i'm like i i i can't i can't do that i i don't i'm not capable of that so uh i hadn't traveled a whole lot until like i guess it's been several years ago now uh but like didn't go on many vacations or anything uh as a young adult and then i started going on work trips a lot and I had a trip where I was gone for like a little over two weeks, which is a nice chunk of time to be away from home. You need stuff like you can't uh, survive with just a small duffel bag full of things. So I actually had to purchase more clothing on the trip uh, because I I packed poorly and I bought a new suitcase. And my suitcase is is huge now. It's a very large suitcase. now it's a challenge every trip that I take. I fill that suitcase up even if I'm gone for like three days. So I'm just prepared for everything. I don't have to worry you know about how, You know how I am an asshole about real weird things and just like get on a high horse about the most weird shit? Yes, I'm familiar. I carry a duffel bag and I f- fuck your wheel bags. Ooh. Fuck your wheel bags. I get them out of here. Get them out of here, you and your wheelbags, taking up so much room, so much surface area of the floor with your wheels, and then you're not strong enough to lift your wheelbag up into the duffel. I'm a duffel man. So (laughs) the the man's never drank a duffel bag in his life. The, uh, is that a... Is that, a, is that a Simpsons? Is that a twisted Simpsons right there? It's, it's, oh God, there's some politician talking about beer, trying to like sell it, and Homer goes, the man's never drank a duff in his life. Uh, on family trips now, I have like a gym bag that I take. I pride myself because on that, I don't care. Like, I, I'm going to wear my t-shirts and it's going to be fine. In my, you know, two pairs of jeans. But on work trips, you need, I need biz cash clothes. I need, like, functional clothing. Uh, you you got to be prepared for everything. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a heavy packer. But my carry-on, I have to carry a whole server uh, for our video production stuff on in my carry-on. And it barely fits in the overhead. It's I, the worst I thing. I feel like you should just... Buy that server a seat and have them sit next to you. I mean, just because they serve food to the cast doesn't mean that they're worthless and just get stuffed into a crate like a giant man from an ice movie. (laughs) 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 I couldn't think of his name. Uh... Oh, God. Uh, BB gun army scene where he's shooting those. That was cool. That's probably why I wanted a BB gun when I was a kid. I loved BB guns and pellet guns. Mm -hmm. So much fun. Uh, I like, as we get to, like, some of the parent stuff with Catherine O'Hara, even if she's a shitty mom, I do like the intensity of her performance. Okay. I'm not saying I agree with her Uh and her and how she carries herself, but it's an entertaining performance. Now, she has raised a child who calls her a dummy, and then she basically says, you go die alone in the attic. 
you're going to freeze to death in, in the attic by yourself. I feel like, I feel like if Catherine O'Hara and I ever raised a child together, it would be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and then she doesn't check on him the next morning, which is like, fine, whatever. And also, once they get on the plane, you notice that they sit in first class and they never check to be like, okay, did all of the kids get situated or are our kids fucking up back there? Because the kids are all just like sporadically placed amongst the general populace back there, seated everywhere. Mm -hmm. Maybe go back and check once in a while, make sure they're not being assholes but no they just sit there and uh dad thinks it's because he left the garage door open and then she has the realization i do like uncle frank being just like the shitty uncle that he is goes if it makes you feel any better i forgot my reading glasses (laughs) (laughs) the uh Uh, yeah the plane placement the fact that the parents are like, yeah, we'll take first class. The the kids can sit in the back, uh, just, and you have a range of ages of children with you. Fuller shouldn't be by himself back there. He's going to pee on something. No. He's going to fall asleep and pee on something. I feel like they're just like, well, someone back in coach will, uh, will parent them for us. We're, we're gonna sit up here and drink champagne and steal the salt shakers. My gosh! When <laughs> when he gets refilled, he's like he's like fill it up, fill it up. He's yelling at the at the air weight staff. Um. So they land, and she calls the cops from France. And a fun little cameo from the guy who played Kramer mm-hmm. on Seinfeld. Inside the show of Seinfeld, inside Seinfeld, uh, um, and he also and I like that that childcare back and forth of like I'll send you to the cops and then I'll send you to childcare. Oh, and when he's when he's eating a donut, yes! listing like every possible bad thing that could have happened to her kid. Uh, is there an emotionally deranged relative who may have caused your child harm? Uh, and, and is there a fire in the house? Uh, a huge chunk of donut falls and just hangs on the phone. <laughs> I love it. So, um, as we get some like stern and pesky stuff going, uh, they've cased the whole neighborhood. They're the wet bandits. And Daniel Stern, I don't know if he is playing Marv as a stoner or if that's just. If he's just like Marv is just slow, but either way, the the way his face is so just lazily vacant, it's 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 pretty incredible. Like Marv's Marv's face and expressions is is just he's almost not there <laughs> when we see him looting everything, wearing a snorkeling mask. Oh god, that's just so goofy. And then. Uh, Giggling to himself when he leaves the taps running to overflow the house. And in my notes, I have, what's more fucked up, to break in and rob a place or to water damage a place? I I feel like the water damage is way worse. It is absolutely. When Pesci is yelling at him, he's like, you're sick. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, that sucks. Like, whatever. But now, as an adult, I'm like, oh, water damage? That, like, you might as well just rip those houses down and, like, rebuild them with the amount of water damage and warped floors and mold and every other problem that's going to happen to these places. Yeah. After having been through a uh, flood down here. Yeah, absolutely. That'll, that'll hose your whole house, your subfloor. Forget about it. <laughs> so as they're leaving that place and, Oh, is this after Culkin shoplifts? And he runs away from the cops mm. and slides on his knees. Uh, fun little foot chase. And he's like, I'm a criminal now. Um, Harry and Marv almost hit him. And then he's like, oh, that kid was looking at me weird. Let's follow him. And then they start following him in this creepy ass van down the street. And then Macaulay Culkin starts running. And he's like, see, why would he run? He's <laughs> like, because there's a terrifying van slowly following this kid and stopping when he stops and going when he goes. Like, why do you think he's running, man? Oh, also, Culkin has a hood. His jacket hood unzips in half down the middle, and I think that's really weird. Did you notice that? It was the style at the time. Yeah, so, it, like, straight down the middle of the hood. So then, but I don't get it. I don't get that at all. Yeah, now that you're you're mentioning it, it seems weird. But I remember seeing coats like that. that yeah, because then he had kind of, instead of having a hoodie on his back... He had kind of these two almost like wing shapes of the unzipped hood over his shoulders. Mm -hmm. Strange. Uh, oh. Uh, we're back in France. C'est une vie de wonderful. It's a wonderful life in France. Oh, nice. They're watching that. Well, I don't. I, that's not. That's not French. <laughs> just, no. I, I like your attempt. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was just fun to see that, uh, pranking the pizza guy, the pizza guy running into the statue over and over, just little things like that. Oh, I, <laughs> the, the little joke that the pizza guy is always flying everywhere because if he doesn't make it in 20 minutes, it, it's, he doesn't get paid. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's subtle, but pretty good. What are they? Little Nero's? Is that the name of the pizza place? Mm -hmm. It says no, no fiddling around. Yeah. Uh, I did notice this time that the, the pizza guy runs into the, the lawn jockey. Uh, the, when you see the vans to take them to the airport, he's picking up the lawn jockey. And then that's right where uh, Joe Pesci falls when he falls off the stairs later. It's right where the lawn jockey lands. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I hadn't spotted that before. Um, so just moving through this, mom gets back to the States. Um, not yet, but eventually she's going to meet John Candy. Kevin does his whole adult thing with the spray deodorant and the stinging aftershave, which, if you haven't shaved, would aftershave burn a child's face is my question. I don't know, because, like, your pores aren't all... Maybe, well, your pores would be open if you took a hot shower. And he clearly yeah, did, because like, the... Kids are, like, so sensitive to 
anything that it 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 might, but um oh another part of him just being a weirdo is when he's shopping and he goes, Are those microwave dinners any good? I'll give him a whirl. <laughs> and then and then the cashier is like this little incorrigible kid is so grown up. And it, it, this is the kind of stuff where I'm like, oh god, this is this is the stuff I can like remember trying to emulate when I was a kid. Of like, oh, I'm gonna be an adult. And oh I I love that line. The oh, I'll give him a whirl. Oh, and but then he she holds up the army man and he goes, It's for the kids. I'm like, oh god, this kid is insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> when uh it's weird because i also watched the trailer for it uh the, so the scene where she interrogates him and she's like where's your mom where do you live and all that in the trailer it's her manager that asks him the questions it's the exact same exchange except for she's standing there looking all smug and there's a man behind her asking the questions Oh, weird. Yeah, it's the. I'm like, that's a weird. I wonder if the movie is like, will an audience in 1990 accept a woman expressing any kind of authority? Yeah, probably we not. We better get a man to to do this scene too, and we'll we'll go to the test audience and see. Um. Says, so, oh, I, I was wondering, do you have any idea how when he's walking down the street, they got both grocery bags to split at the same time? It's, I'm sure there's some super basic little practical effect they did to have both those grocery bags break like that. I'm guessing just two fishing lines. Right, like holding them, holding the tape together. Yeah. And then just yank them both at the same... I've, something like that, right? Yeah. Um, oh, so now Stern's going to go check things out again, and we're going to kind of do the same thing again with the pizza guy where we played the angels with filthy souls movie but this time we have firecrackers in a pot which was cool this movie definitely made me want to get firecrackers after watching this when i was a kid for sure so is this before or after he does the whole party scene with all the mannequins uh after i skipped over the mannequin party okay i first of all i wanted to bring up that he Puts this whole thing together with the mannequins and strings and lights and music playing. And they're Michael all, Jordan on a train. They're all like, he's got them all animatronic up practically. Uh, secondly, he cleans all that up by the next day. Like that doesn't seem. Oh, at, we will see again later in this movie. Kevin McAllister, when he chooses to be, is one of the most incredibly efficient cleaning people in the history of humanity. Uh, in addition to an attempted murderer, he is very fastidious when he cleans. Yes. Well, I was also thinking, uh, there's a scene where he's hiding under the bed, and he moves the bags away, mm -hmm. and there's not a speck of dust underneath that bed. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, movies, stop making me feel bad. Like, like I should not have dust under my bed. Because my... It's dusty under there. Let me tell you, my friend. Uh... Also, I had a Michael Jordan standee, like a, a life-size, well, I mean, I never measured it next to Michael Jordan, but, you know, one of those standees when I was a kid, uh, which I did have fun, like, putting it in the house and freaking my mom out, 
like she would come home and I would have set it up in the living room uh, in front of one of the open windows or something. So there'd just be a silhouette of a man standing there when she would walk in. Okay, that's fun. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Also, in my mind now, I have no idea what the standee that I had looked like because in my mind it's been replaced by the one from Home Alone. I think he was wearing a red uniform in mine and in a slightly different pose, but it's now this one. Wow. Yeah. You almost had that. That's cool. I, I'm from San Diego. So basketball was just like, never basketball and hockey just mm-hmm. like never made their way into my my life basically at all it's a shame hockey's a, i don't know because now game. i because hockey i i appreciate hockey I, I like hockey i still don't care for basketball though that's understandable because yeah. it's just too much scoring so everything is inconsequential mm-hmm. hockey when someone scores a goal in hockey it's really exciting because it matters like the best play in basketball which is like an incredible three-point play, is then negated on the opposite end by a very average play. Yeah. I can, so. I can see that. Um, what do you think when he goes to the Santa Village? And there's that... It's a nice little... that Whoever built this Santa hut, I can't... It looks like it's a permanent structure on this church ground. Um... But I like the Santa guy. <laughs> He's kind of, it's like it's like a precursor. It's a nicer version of Billy Bob Thornton's bad Santa. Okay. I see I can see where that might lead to there. Uh the thing that I was struck by is there's so much that I had forgotten about this movie. Like there are movies that I feel like I know every beat, and this would have been one of them before I rewatched it. And, like, I don't remember him going and talking to Santa like this in the middle of the movie. Really? Yeah. I, 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 I remember that, and I also remember him saying to the, the lady, nice shoes, to the elf lady. Okay, yeah, that did strike a chord, and I was like, but I don't remember the, the rest of the interaction. It's weird. But this is when he has overheard the wet bandits say that they're going to come back at nine o'clock. So yeah, he goes into town, which probably would be my solution. Anyway, I'd be like, well, I'm not going to be here. They will be here at nine. Uh, you know, insurance will take care of our belongings. I'm going to keep myself safe. Uh, but he goes it's already dark, although it's the Midwest during the winter, so it gets dark at like 2.30 p.m. Uh, yeah. But he's going to go talk to Santa. He's going to go to church. He's got all these other plans. Like, he's wasting prep time. He's burning up his precious moments uh, that he could be, you know, devising more traps. You got to get your heart right before you go into combat, man. Mm. If you go into combat and you don't got your spirit right, then nothing else is going to work. Um, the Santa gives him Tic Tacs as opposed to candy canes. Mm-hmm. And in my ever-growing need to 
explain myself and who I am to you. I am now going to share my screen. Okay. Okay. Now let's see. Can you hear? Carl, when was the last time you reminisced? Well, okay. my mum and dad have been around, haven't they? So been yeah. reminiscing a lot. Yeah. Um, what were you thinking about? We're just chatting about um, Tic Tacs. <laughs> One of the great memories, yeah. The happy memories. Now, I used to love them Yeah. when I was younger. Yeah. My dad got a load of them. Mm. What, got... this year? No, just no, recently. years ago. Oh, years ago, like, right. years ago when I loved them. I said, I love Tic Tacs, me. Yeah. He met one of his mates. He didn't nick him from the sweet shop? No, no. No, that's no he did. knew yeah. some mate who uh, who could get his hand on a load. Right. And uh, he must have got about he, he must have got about 30 crates of Tic Tacs. 30 crates of honestly, Tic Tacs? Honestly, mm. we'd have about 24 on each crate. We got them, stuck them in a cupboard, under the uh, just in the kitchen, the corner. Yeah. Now, I worked my way through about six crates. It's quite happy. When? In how long? <laughs> I don't know, in about two weeks, three weeks or something. Right. And then uh, after that, I'm getting sick of these. Right, yeah. You were minty fresh, but you're yeah, lovely fresh breath. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I haven't got that much more to tell you about it. It's just. What you uh, so just this, sorry, whoa, 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 bear in mind, this was something he was recently reminiscing with his parents <laughs> yeah, about. No. They were sat around, and we've already learned <laughs> up to an hour could go by reminiscing. <laughs> sat around yeah. for an hour and uh, talking about the, the great I've already run out of sorry, responses. I've got yeah. nothing to say about no, that. Opinion, I mean, I was nearly going to say, what do you do with the empty little flicky tic tac boxes? Yeah. And then I you realise that that's utterly dull and boring. Uh, well, and I, just, I was struggling. I don't know what this anecdote is, other than a bloke. Other than you said your dad, I like tic tacs, me. He went, all right, I talked to Albert. Albert, you got tic tacs? I've got 30 crates, if that'll do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring him around. Put him under cupboard. He's got through 12 crates. What's his breath like? Fucking lovely, but he's been sick all over the cunting place. Oh, do you want some more? <laughs> no, cause me fucking down. You'll talk about that in a few years' time. Cause me real for about a fucking hour. No. Then we bring it up in an audio book. But that's, I think that's how we got onto it, because even though I, tr I tried to get rid of a load. I used to give them to mates, take them to school, say, have some Tic Tacs. Yeah. You can have them for free. <laughs> we used a load in the cat litter tray. <laughs> no. No, you <laughs> didn't. We did. It no, was just didn't. ways of getting rid of them. Jesus Christ. <laughs> sort, of freshy, sort of freshy smell, isn't it? That's it's the same amazing. sort of condensity in that, isn't it? Condensity. It is the same condensity. Um, condensity. Yeah, so I got rid of them <laughs> like that. And then the uh, weird thing was, even though I'd got shut of them all, um, you'd be vacking up and you'd always hear one. Tinging its way up the tube. <laughs> it's tinging its way up the tube. It's tinging its way up the tube. It's tinging its way up the tube. Ding tong, ping pong. It's tinging its way up the tube. That sounds like something from Willy Wonka. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> tinging its way up the tube. I love it. That might be my my favorite uh, one you've brought to me so far. <laughs> That's a that's a classic moment from Carl's childhood. Oh, <laughs> so good. So after this, uh, back to the movie. Kevin goes into the church, and uh, it starts first with "Oh Holy Night" playing, which is my favorite Christmas carol, especially the part with a. Uh, And that, and then it hits that really high note. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Oh, but this is where Robert's Blossom just shines. And um, he goes and introduces himself to Kevin and sits down and says, you know, um, asks if he, like, he's been good. And Kevin says he's feeling bad and says, oh, this is a good place to be when you're feeling bad about yourself. 
And when Kevin asks him, oh, are you feeling bad about yourself? He goes, no. <laughs> but he, but clearly, he definitely is. Yeah. He's been, like, shielding this from everyone. But, you know, we start to... Kevin breaks. And this is the first time, I think... Have we seen Kevin be a genuine person up until this point in this movie? I don't think so. No. I think this is the first time where we see Kevin show compassion. And like it's almost like the first moment of the Grinch, his heart getting a little bigger, is this scene with Kevin. But also, where does Kevin get this wisdom from? This is more of him like acting like an adult and like giving this old sweet man life advice. I know, but listen. Okay. Previously in the movie, it's been eye rolling when he tries to be an adult. But there's something in this that he's not trying to be an adult. This is just genuinely how Kevin like feels, and he you know and he relates things back to you know how he looks at things with his um, from his like child mind mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm something about bringing up like being beat up in a sweater if you have a sweater knit with a bird on it or some uh, shit but, right and and also in the basement he goes um so old man marley had an argument with his son years ago and they both said they didn't want to speak to each other or see each other anymore and then that grudge just held and he says in a moment so sad he goes oh i'm afraid to i'm afraid to call my son and kevin goes why he goes because he may not talk to me and that's so real. But then Kevin goes, you know, the basement isn't so bad once you go down there and you turn the lights on. And it's stupid kid logic, but he doesn't realize that, like, <laughs> there is deep wisdom there. Of oh, yeah. The fear of the unknown is often so much worse than the actual experience of something. And when you go down into the basement and turn the lights on or call your son for the first time, which you've been dreading doing, it's not so bad. Uh, this is also this scene where Kevin's hair really bothers me. In this scene? I think it's been on and off, but this is like, you get a long time of him sitting there having a conversation with somebody and he's not running around. Yeah. And they've got these long pieces, like, coming down the front like bangs or something. There, it's just, it's a weird look and it distracted me during this, what I think is the heart of the movie. This is like the sweetest part of the film and arguably better than the, uh, being reunited at the end. Uh, this, I'm really, this, as I've gotten older, I still love what happens next in this movie. Uh, but I feel like this is the scene I'm really coming back to this movie for. Mm-hmm. Especially, um, as I've talked about so many times on the show, my uh, broken relationship with my own dad, which we kind of reconciled towards, like, at the end of his life, but kind of didn't, you know. Um, so this just, like, resonates and rings so true for me and uh 
And I see it from both sides, from like the son side and from the father side now, as I've gotten older and see my, Marley's perspective. Uh, also, to bring up dad stuff and to tie things together a little bit, uh, my dad, so last night or the night before, uh, his favorite movie in the world that I, I probably brought this up is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. His favorite movie. It's one of the only movies he thinks is worth anything, as a matter of fact. He's not a movie guy, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not a, not a film guy, not a movie guy. No, no. Uh, at least a couple years ago, he would watch Cops all the time. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I guess like the Today Show or whatever. But my dad was incessantly sending me. He was taking photos of his television, watching It's a Wonderful Life, and sending me photos all throughout the evening. And okay. I felt so, uh, he was reaching out, right? Like, he's trying to connect with me over this movie that he loves and share it with me. Uh, and I thought that was really sweet. That that's really sweet. Do you think he gets the irony of the one movie that he uses to connect with his son is about a father who's lost all connection with his children <laughs> and the world? Uh, I also tried to bring up at one point in time the fact that uh, It's a Wonderful Life was investigated for having communist ties and a communist message, uh, and. He was not hearing any of it. My dad kind of famously also thinks Twilight Zone is just a show with some spooky stuff in it and has no messaging at all. So. Okay. So when your dad reads Animal Farm, it's not a metaphor. <laughs> no. It's just about a bunch of pigs and cows and horses. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I can maybe see why your dad doesn't watch films. But, I, you know, he... Demolition Man is what it says it is. I feel like your dad would like that. Yeah, it does what it says. Uh, so, as I said before, we get, like, Carol of the Bells going into this amazing, awesome highlight of, like, the the soundtrack sequence as he runs back. And the blueprint, Josh. The blueprint. That is, like, one of my favorite shots. It's one of the most nostalgic shots ever because when I was a kid... When he unfurls the blueprint, I just thought it was, like, the fucking coolest thing in the world. It's that, like, not only is this kid just going to, like, defend his house and set up all this shit, but he's got it planned. He's got a blueprint. He's got designs and drawings and scale and... And he signs uh, it in the, in the corner. <laughs> it says, by Kevin McAllister, like, in big block letters. It did make me think, like, oh, this would make... I don't think his dad is an architect, but it would definitely check that box if his dad was. Well, once again, early on, they set up uh, that he was making Christmas ornaments with a hot glue gun uh, with out of his dad's fish hooks early on in the movie, like, before everyone else leaves. So you get that he has this, this kind of crafty... Uh, thinking outside of the box using these different supplies kind of mind. So the setup that we get here, I'm going to list all of our traps that we, we set up here. Micro machines, 
watering exterior stairs, barbecue heater on the doorknob. I've never seen a coal igniter like that before outside of this movie. Uh, me either. Uh, tar and nail on the basement steps. Creating a zipline and making his own bicycle zipline thing? That's impressive. Uh, the glue and feather set, the ornament foot trap, and paint buckets. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a hell of a setup. Um, the one thing that really, I think, takes this movie away from being a masterpiece is uh, he's... The mac and cheese never gets a bite taken out of it. It never gets touched. Mm-hmm. And that really hurts me. But he was also going to use a knife and a fork? <laughs> yes. What? Like he's Am I cheering for this monster? You've been telling me this kid's a protagonist, and he's eating his macaroni and cheese with a knife and fork? It, is that or is that not the best microwavable mac and cheese you've ever seen? Oh, it's such bullshit. Yeah. Su- what? What he pulled out of that microwave package and what they put on that plate, two different macaronis. I'm going to say it. I'm glad that you're brave enough to to bring your insight to this. <laughs> um, but now we start what I consider genuinely to be about 15 minutes of some of the most perfect slapstick comedy execution that I've seen in movies. And I watched this um, last night with my mom. Mm-hmm. And, dude, we were, we were just cracking up. The entire invasion, the entire home invasion set up with Harry and Marv is so goddamn funny and so impressive from a stuntman mm-hmm. perspective of the hits that these stunt performers were taking are real. At one point, Harry does a backflip onto concrete stairs. (laughs) And it's like, how the fuck did anybody do this? The, uh, I mean, it starts off with him getting shot in the, in the nut with a BB gun. Oh my God. The beat. I did. So when that BB gun pokes out through that doggy door, I'm already starting to giggle because there's just like this buildup and he shoots him in the nuts and Pesci does Pesci does the uh, the best it's so good and then after that when Stern sticks his head through that dog door the framing of that shot is so great. Stern's forehead lifts, and he has this dumb look on his face and gets blasted right in the head. Uh, in Home Alone 2, there's a great bit. It, it's a rehash of this, but it's a staple gun at a door. Okay. Equally hilarious results. Uh, somewhere in this section, my wife rather cryptically said... People who like this also watch America's Funniest Home Videos and laugh. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, they're funny. What's, was, what's your point? I was like, they're the funniest home videos, honey. The funniest <laughs> ones. Your wife doesn't laugh when a man is sledding down a hill and goes ball first into a miniature tree? <laughs> I, I, I met Elizabeth. She claims to, like work in comedy as far as like doing improv Mm -hmm. now i really question everything 
Oh. <laughs> she doesn't think. I, I we were enjoying the film too. I don't know where that necessarily came from, but it did but like, crack okay, me up. The part where Stern is at the bottom. Well, <laughs> first when Stern falls down those stairs and he goes, his feet. He's trying to stand, and there's that moment where both of his feet slide out together at the same point to pin him against the wall so he can stand. And he falls and eats shit, and then the crowbar falls on his head. Oh, it's so good. And the door's unlocked the whole time. The, uh, so every time Kevin cleaned up later, he cleans up everything except for his brother's room. He's probably yes. somehow re, you know, fixed the door jam that Marv <laughs> <laughs> drove the crowbar Kevin. into. Kevin was able to somehow remove tar from the stairs of the basement. But he couldn't figure out how to fix Buzz's shelf. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Pesci going up those stairs. It's just anytime anyone is on ice and they can't find their footing and they're just basically sprinting in place without moving, that will crack me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pesci doorknob melts his hand. The Pesci flamethrower <laughs> he, he, made... <laughs> he makes he makes an amazing noise when the flamethrower hits him he's just like <laughs> uh, that one i'm like how did they do that because it's just a I, fire on top of his head i don't remember i need to watch again there's that netflix show the movies that made us mm. and I, I recall the home alone episode being pretty good uh, the Die Hard one was too, so I would check that out. Um, oh God, my <laughs> so Stern goes in the basement, tries to turn a light on, pulls an iron down, and it hits him in the face. And um, my mom was cracking up at the the iron imprint mm-hmm. on his face. <laughs> um, the gnarliest part though for me. It's gotta be the well. It's it's anything to do with Marv's feet, yeah. Because it's first, it's the nail. It's the step up, mm-hmm. go through the nail. But later, when he goes through the window and steps on those fucking Christmas ornaments, it's like Die Hard. And then also, um, your next does a fun little homage. Oh yeah, I yeah. Think, to this moment, <laughs> but when he. It shows that one shot after when he's walking and he steps on a light bulb and crushes it. And it just makes me cringe seeing that. It's uh, and his feet are covered with tar from losing his shoes on the stairs before he gets pierced with the nail. So all that glass is just sticking. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, (laughs) when we see him later running out in the street as they run across the street. He's like, Daniel Stern's trying to run, like, on the outer edges Mm -hmm. of his feet, barefoot through the snow. Uh, Pesci gets feathered and glued. And then we get the line, Marv, uh, what does he say? Marv, where are your shoes? Harry, why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? chicken?" Yes. (laughs) Um... Micro Machines is a fun one. Paint Cans is iconic. 
Did you remember paint cans? What which of these traps did you remember? Oh, this whole sequence. I feel like maybe when I watched this as a kid, after the first time, I just kind of tuned out the first uh, 75 minutes or whatever it is of this movie. Okay. <laughs> and just watched this last section. What? You, wait. You're telling me you wanted to see the the perfunctory heist part and you didn't care about all the character building that happened before this i i don't understand you well first of all i would say the char- character building Char really <laughs> is there much character building in this movie uh well okay well we haven't brought up john candy yet the the golden ray of john candy when he shows up with his beautiful savior jesus like uh jacket on Polka, 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 the polka shuffle. No, nothing. Just the sweetest man. And the joke that he says about, like, no, I've never gone on a vacation without my kid. I did leave him at a funeral for <laughs> <thing> once. <laughs> yes. with a corpse for a few hours, but, you know, they got through that. What did he say, like, uh, <coughs> after six or seven weeks, he started talking again? <laughs> But he's just, it's, it reminds me very much of his character in Planes, Trains. Mm-hmm. And to a lesser degree, but still, it's just that complete, genuine, like, pathos that John Candy was able to exhibit. Even in such a small role here, he leaves such a lasting impact on this movie. Mm-hmm. The... Um, uh, oh, Harry gets yeah, more and more unhinged as this is going on. Uh, as we see his, he threatens to rip off Kevin's cojones and boil them in motor oil at one point. I didn't catch, I, I vaguely remember that line, but I never actually thought about what that means. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's right after the paint can uh, section. So, all right. Number number two moment in this... Oh, first of all, paint can section. Have you seen Better Watch Out? No. No, I did not. The, it's a recent movie. Babysitter takes care of a kid, and then, like... I'll spoil the movie, because I think it sucks. If you want to watch it, go for it. But it turns out the kid is just like this... Like, they think the house is being invaded, or there's someone, but it's actually just the kid is a full-on, like, incel weirdo fuck and anyways at one point he gets the babysitter's boyfriend strapped to a chair and he's like haven't you always been curious what would happen with that home alone thing and so he does this paint can thing and i think like decapitates the guy or some it was just it was a real bummer movie yeah I, i didn't like it at all um what i do like though maybe my second favorite scene in this movie definitely the scene that maybe makes me laugh hardest Kevin runs upstairs, jumps over the tripwire. Harry and Marv fall, but Marv catches Kevin's leg. And when all hope is lost, there is Buzz's tarantula. And <laughs> picks up the tarantula and puts it on Daniel Stern's face. And the momentary silence of utter horror that Daniel Stern has on his face before what may be the most 
the greatest scream in movie history. <laughs> I don't know of many other screams I've ever heard ever in my life. The only other one I can think that would even compare to Daniel Stern's scream in this is Mike Shanks in oh, American okay. Movie. It's incredible, though. He hits levels that, like, power metal singers from the 80s, who are singing up here! He, d- he like, hits this high fucking note with shrieking. It's, it's genuinely, like, just as someone who does vocal screaming and whatnot for metal stuff, crazy screams. So cool. <laughs> and then when he... The spider lands on Pesci and he goes, Harry, don't move and wax him with the crowbar. He's got a, he's got oh, a break God. a these, rib these, at that point. These, these two idiots are so funny. Harry gets a whack at him. Oh God. Uh the upper body strength. I'm I'm amazed at Pesci's upper body strength to uh shimmy across this the the zip line out to the treehouse. Oh yeah. So uh, every moment from this movie is done again in the sequel. Same thing with this rope scene. It's basically like almost the exact same thing happens in the sequel, but yes, but I really like it's a little moment, but Harry, when they run out and they look at the zip line, Harry goes, Where'd he go? And Marv goes, Maybe he committed suicide. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's dark. <laughs> and it is kind of like, God damn, suicide joke and, and boiling cojones in a kid's movie. And he's going to, he's going to bite his fingers off. Yeah. Hello. My name is Murphy. That always, I don't get why. Ke- I don't know what Kevin's plan is here. Calling the police to his neighbor's house. I I, I don't quite know what Kevin's thinking here, but. Uh, yeah, they catch him, and, uh, they hang him up on the hook, and this is, like, the movie gets genuinely threatening here of, yeah, I'm gonna smash his face with an iron, we're gonna burn his head with a blowtorch, but first I'm gonna bite every little finger of his off. Like, goddamn, this, <laughs> this kid is in genuine danger right now. And then, uh, but who saves the day but the shovel slayer himself? And I think this man has murdered people with his shovel because look how efficiently he moves through this kitchen wielding this shovel. The the whole set for this little sequence, uh, when he goes like down into the basement and it's flooded <laughs> from uh, Marv wanting to leave their signature on everything. Uh, like that reminded me of Alien Resurrection when the alien is swimming through the kitchen. Okay. Uh, yeah. And but Deep Blue Sea. Never seen it. There, there's a sh- oh, there's a shark in the kitchen moment in Deep Blue Sea. Okay. LL Cool J is there uh, fighting it. But it everything is ratcheted up like very quickly in these last few moments to be the most threatening that it could be. And it's like, we have left behind any semblance of reality and I'm all for it. Yes, I agree because the shovel slayer 
knocks both of these men out, and it's like, awesome, he saved this kid. And he's like, we're going to get you home. And then, so, I'm trying to figure out, there's about a five-minute window here, which wasn't filmed, where the shovel slayer, old man Marley, takes Kevin home, and then just opens the front door and is like, okay, see you later. <laughs> it le- the cops haven't shown up yet mm-hmm. across the street. So there's two unconscious men who still want to murder this boy. This boy just went through almost having his fingers bitten off. And old man Marley is like, see ya. <laughs> Take care. Hope everything works out all right. I- What's he thinking? Well, I mean, clearly this kid can mostly take care of himself. It is weird that in this movie where so much of it is about Kevin's self-reliance that a near stranger, like, swoops in to save his life at the end. But isn't that the message that Kevin thinks he's self-reliant and doesn't need anyone, but in the end, we all need someone? Mm. Anyway, uh... So, Mom, it's the next morning now. They get arrested, and uh, uh, Mom and John Candy show up at the back, and... Oh, is this movie... Is this movie a reverse It's a Wonderful Life? In A Wonderful mm. Life, it's I Wish I Never Existed. In this movie, it's I Wish My Family Never Existed. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that was, like, the seed. I, I could be, right? Uh, um, what but ab- so, mom, mom gets home and we get a nice... Do you like their reunion moment? No. Okay. No, that's... Uh, I don't think that... They're, they're horrible people. The last <laughs> conversation they had, uh, she, told, she told him to go jump in a frozen lake, and he called her an idiot. <laughs> That's basically what happens. But they've both learned that they do love each other. Family is complicated. The, uh, what about the fact that Kevin has decorated in his family's absence? He has still put up all their stockings, apparently bought presents because he, there's presents under the tree. He's, he's done a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This kid is, uh, he's taking over for the whole family. And I think the lesson should be, he doesn't need his mom anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he needs his mom. Did you see, he put up all of their stockings? Mm-hmm. Cause he needs them. He loves his family. Uh, Yeah. And then it's, it is kind of funny that they kind of crush the mom at the end. They're like, hey, remember that logical solution to the problem we had where we just chill out and wait until our flight and you had to go all full-on freak-out mode? Well, here we are now about 45 seconds apart from each other and we're all well-rested mm-hmm. and you've been in a rental van listening to polka music for 18 hours. There's a part... At the end here, where they go, oh, you've been you went shopping. Uh, John Hurt does, or not? Is it John Hurt? John Hurt. Yeah, John Hurt is the Elephant Man. Yes, 
<laughs> John Heard goes, oh, what else do you do? And the and Kevin goes, oh, just hung around. And everyone in the family laughs. And I'm like, that's not a joke. Uh, why is why are they laughing at that? I like the I don't get it. I like the fact that as he's saying, like, oh, I went shopping, John Heard goes, huh, funny little guy. <laughs> I also like that he thinks Tide is fabric softener. Oh. I hadn't noticed that. He says, I bought milk and fabric softener. I'm like, that's detergent, son, dumb fuck. You you idiot. You absolute moron child. Oh, but then his family all goes off, and he walks over to the window, and what does he see out there but as John Williams' beautiful score plays, but old man Marley reuniting with his family in the snow, and clutching his granddaughter and holding her so tight, and that little wave at Kevin through the window. I feel like George Costanza, where... Jerry comes back in the apartment and goes, what are you, crying at home alone? <laughs> and George goes, the old man gets me. And uh, yeah, I I tear up every time at the end of this movie because uh, that just the little side story with old man Marley is so beautiful and so touching. And one of the only like genuine good people as you point out in this movie like the McAllisters suck mm-hmm. um but yeah it just it it ends the movie on such a sweet note and then uh the fun little kevin what the hell did you do to my room it's just fun it's just nice i always leave this movie feeling happy and nostalgic and christmasy the the only thing kevin couldn't clean up is joe pesci's gold tooth <laughs> and John Heard, typical man, picks something up and is like, hmm, I better get my wife to explain this to me. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I think I want a drama about old man Marley's life. Like, maybe this old guy who uh, did some killing when he was younger and has tried to move to a a quiet community to live out his days and connect with his family. Can I say one thing about old man Marley? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His snow shovel is a really inefficient tool for spreading salt on the driveway and on the sidewalks. It's too wide. He can only get like a tenth of a shovel full of salt. He really should have some kind of scoop or something in that salt bucket. It, the, the, the snow shovel is not the right tool for that job. Also, uh, its efficacy as a weapon is in question because snow shovels not that heavy, generally speaking. It's not like a it's not like a, a digging shovel. No, it's not like a digging shovel, but. When you're the South Bend Shovel Slayer, you have enough experience to know how to really make those hits count, I guess. Also, Harry and Marv were a little beat up by the time they took that last shovel hit. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Do you have anything else? Let me wrap up Home Alone. 
Alien Underwater. Oh, uh, the fact that Kevin apparently gets two Christmas wishes. I, This family already has so much, and Kevin both gets to get his get rid of his family and then get his family back. I don't think so. I don't like it. <laughs> the rich get richer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I love this movie. It it'll it'll hold up for me forever, even if there's some parts that are inconsistent or whatever or his family sucks. They they suck in a fun way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy how much each of these kids kinda suck in their own way and uh Yeah, no, this is a big movie of my past. It I'll watch it every year. It's four and a half for me. I love it. Oh wow. Okay. That's I love it. That is a a heavy amount of stars for you. Uh I like it. I do think that the script is fantastic and the direction is fantastic. Um, I didn't enjoy it or dislike it as much as I thought I would. I thought that it was either going to blow me away with like, oh, I remember this and I love it. uh, Or like, oh, God, kind of stuff. But it's somewhere in between and I'm giving it three and a half. Cool. Yeah. I I thought you would be real down on this. So no, it's, that works for me. It's it is too finely crafted for me not to respect it. And the whole siege portion of the of the movie is still great. Awesome. Well, that will wrap up our Christmas movie portion of the show. But now we're gonna do a. I don't know how long this is gonna take, but we're gonna do a end of the year movie discussion. Um. After this break? Okay. You want to just go? We can just go. Let's just go. All right. What do you want to do? We have... <clears throat> my categories are... Best releases 2023. Uh, best movies I saw regardless of release year in 2023. And... Uh, biggest disappointments. Yeah, that's basically what I had. I didn't have, I have like a disappointment, but yeah, we can get to it. Yeah, my my disappointment list is short. Uh, Let's start with 2023 releases then. So I have, I'll, I'll, I'll do 10, but I have a lot of outside looking in honorable mention shout outs of movies that I just had fun with. So 2023 movies that I just had fun with, uh, last voyage of the Demeter boogeyman, evil dead rise, scream six dungeons and dragons, Indiana Jones, hell house, LLC origins, the Meg Two, Oppenheimer. <laughs> it makes me giggle. Putting Oppenheimer on a list with the Meg too. <laughs> I like it. Uh, do you have any outside looking ins? Um, or how many movies do you have? I don't. I didn't look at outside looking ins. Sorry. So, although Dungeons and Dragons would be would be up there, it's not quite great. But I have watched it twice already. I went on a date and saw it in theater back in. February and just had a good time with it. It was surprising. 
Um, how many, how many do you have on your list for 2023 then? Well, okay. Here's a little bit of a problem was, uh, okay. Never mind. There's a mixture of like what I watched in 2023 and releases in 2023. Oh, I see. Well, yeah. I, I split those lists in two. Okay. So I will pull my, uh, the new ones and how many you got? I have 10 from 2023. You have 10 from 2023. Yeah. I don't even know how many films total from this year. I watched <clears throat> that's impressive. I mean, it's also, I will say that this was not the strongest year of movies for me. Mm-hmm. I, I only have a few that I really loved. There's a lot that I really liked, but only a few that I loved this year. See if I can, can I sort this differently? Sort by release date. Well, this doesn't make sense. I'll just go with it. Okay. All right. Number 10 for me. BS High, a documentary about a fake college football program that ended up playing a a game on ESPN live broadcast. And just a really cool movie because the coach of this team is one of the biggest con men fraudsters who's like so open about it and just such a scam artist full of shit, piece of shit that it's interesting to see him interviewed on camera, not only trying to explain away how he's a piece of shit, but like not even like not even acknowledge it in many ways. Um, Great documentary. Really enjoyed it. Check it out if you like sports. Oh, so I, I don't need to bother. No. Okay, these are mostly going to be uh, not in any ranked order, except for uh, the top couple. Okay, yeah, I could kind of say the same about, like, my top five is more ranked than these first five. Okay. Uh, So I would go with uh, Pathan, or Patan, I believe, uh, which is a Bollywood... uh, action i mean you know how bollywood films are right like there's action there's comedy there's drama there's dance uh there's beautiful choreography beautiful sets it's just they're fun uh but it was if you had another bite at the apple of making mission impossible 2 this is what i wanted that movie to be it's there's there's jetpacks in this movie, men fly around on jetpacks and have a fight. It's great. Sold. Yep. Number nine. Bo is afraid. Uh, a really interesting movie that I liked. I liked thirds of it. I think I really liked the first third and the last third. And there's so much in this movie that I really couldn't process all of it. But I know I related to certain aspects of it, both um, like when I lived in a city and had anxiety and fear of the city and people itself, and then also uh, 
fears of, um, you know, like being a good son. Um, but I, I can't really process it. I need to watch it again because there was so much there and it was so over the top. So I, I feel I really liked it, but I don't really quite get it yet. Interesting. I've heard so many, so many mixed things about it and I uh, have not brought myself to watch it yet because it seems like quote a lot. <laughs> it, it is definitely a lot. What's your next one? Uh, this one, it doesn't rank as highly for me, but I want to mention it um, as I had a great time watching it, but I don't think it'll hold up at all. It's Dick's the musical. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. Uh, it was, it's directed by Larry Charles. Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, Seinfeld writer. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's two guys who play identical twins who are not identical twins. And they get a lot of mileage out of the fact that they talk about how much they look like each other and they pull a parent swap, uh, or a, you know, a parent trap to try to get their parents back together. And okay. Nathan Lane uh, has sewer boys. I, I'm intrigued. I like Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of fun with it. And Megan Mullally plays his estranged wife. So, Right on. Yep. Um, let's see. My next one would be Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. And this surprised me because I'm not a war movie guy. And based on this trailer... As someone on the Discord said recently, it looked a little hoorah, and I agreed, but I got around to watching this movie, and I've actually watched it twice now. I just got an inkling last week to watch it again, and uh, it's really fucking good. Hall's great in it, but uh, Dar Salim, who's a kind of unknown actor who co-leads the movie, he's really incredible. And it, I really hope it's like a star turn for him and he gets cast in a lot of stuff. Um, the score is amazing. And um, Richie's directing is really pulled back and far more subtle. And I think it works for the story that they tell. The third act is a little... It, it's not like a perfect third act, I'll say. But overall, uh, I'm just really surprised with how much this movie struck me. So, uh, the covenant. Nice. Uh, the newest entry on my list would have to be Wonka. Surprisingly. That, that's shocking. Yeah, it was, it's very, it's shot very flat for being a musical about Wonka, but, uh, it is sweet and they, they use enough of the music from the the OG, uh, like kind of sprinkled in over top as theme, that when they actually deliver on any of it, um, it's pretty, and it's clever the way that they use it. Uh, and I liked all the characters well enough. And they didn't try to make Timothy Chalamet as manic or as charming, frankly. They rely a lot on the cast, and the extended cast is great. Good luck getting Timothy Chalamet to be as charming as Gene Wilder. Oh, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, not going to happen. It's like asking a stale piece of bread to emulate a croissant. Wow. 
croissant. <laughs> my, ne- <laughs> my next movie is Saw 10. The first what? Saw okay, I've seen in... See- <laughs> the last Saw I saw in theaters was Saw 3. And, uh, dude, Saw 10. Brilliant move to put the, the series back in Tobin Bell's hands, where it should have been this whole time. He's always been the best actor, the best part of the series. Finally, we get a movie that stars him. And he just gives a beautiful performance. And it was an emotional time for me because I knew Ripley was near her end. And that movie just surprised me, like struck an emotional chord with me where I teared up in theater watching a Saw movie. And that, that just really surprised me. Nice. Uh, I'm actually listing a, a stand-up special as one of my favorites. Uh, from okay, it's Hell from Chris Fleming, directed by Never heard of him. Directed by Cat Solon. Um, I came across him like maybe as far back as Vine days. Uh, but he's great. He does these little sketches and things. But his this whole stand-up set is interspersed with sketches and things that he wrote. And it's just absurdist. It's absolutely nuts. Um, it's so much fun. And I was sick, uh, like in the middle of the night, the night that it came out and I just sat here and watched it and it elevated my spirits, which is what they're supposed to do. So what was the movie called again? It's called hell. (laughs) Chris Fleming, hell. In the middle of the night, I go watching Chris Fleming's hell, and I laugh real hard at his funny jokes. I was searching for something. My number six is John Wick. Number four. John Wick four. It's uh, a behemoth of an action movie, which I think was too much for its own good. Mm -hmm. I think the movie overwhelmed me seeing it in theater to the point where I was exhausted and could no longer appreciate well-scripted action sequences because my brain was just, had been obliterated by the time this got towards the end. That's, I mean, that's kind of what those movies do though. Yeah, but it's just the runtime kept getting longer and longer. Mm. So, like, what I could initially withstand and withhold eventually got to the point where, like, guys, okay, I, I mean, I know I love the raid too, and that's two and a half hours long, but, but this is ridiculous. Uh, what you got? Once again, there are so many things. I mean, it's all subjective. Right. So, uh, I'm going with Barbie. Haven't seen. I I do have a few, um, haven't seen, which are contenders for my list. I I think they would be, uh, Barbie just based on what everyone says about it. Mm -hmm. And then I still really need to see, uh, past lives and decision to leave. Ooh. Oh shit. So, so by missing those movies, I'm not, I just haven't seen them, but those are definitely on my list of movies that I 
on my short list of must watch from this year. Um, okay. I think decision to leave was, I don't know if I put it on my list last year, but, uh, that was one of a last year viewing for me. Well, one of my movies supposedly got a 2022 release, but it definitely hit theaters in 23, at least in the States. So that's what I'm counting. Okay. Yeah, um, that would make it. Are you up or is it my turn? It's you. I just did Barbie. Okay. Top five. Number five. Bottoms. Oh. Uh, so much fun. I love the exaggerated world that this movie creates. Um, Rachel Sinnott is great. I've... Um, what was that movie? Uh, Sh- Shiva Baby. Yeah. Was so good. Um, and this is, I believe, that same director and uh Sinat as well and i just really really enjoyed this one i wasn't sure what it was going to be i just heard that like girls start a fight club and there's a lot more going on in this movie than just that and pretty fucking hilarious there's a lot of really good performances from the surrounding cast and it exists in this kind of hyper reality that i i just i really loved this comedy world that this created really fun did you see it no i did not highly recommend um i think that's one of them i want to watch with elizabeth because it's i would well yeah yeah (laughs) i don't think there's too much like guys getting hit in the balls for her to not laugh (laughs) at in that movie uh i'm going with a a duo here uh, I'm pairing Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer. That's okay. Yeah, my historical dudes rock, act, or or suck, frankly, uh, duology, and yeah, I'm going to watch Flower Moon. Okay, I have it downloaded. It just the runtime scared me off, but um, I, I am higher higher on I, Flower Moon than I am on Oppenheimer, but I do think that they just the fact that they both are big movies from auteurs tackling difficult portions in our history uh, is really fascinating from this year. And they're both so impeccably made just beautiful, you know, from a craft perspective, I think they're fantastic. I liked the first half of Oppenheimer more than the second half is what I'll say there. And, uh, yeah, I, I, for a long time, I thought, Scorsese was more one of my guys and I think I'm realizing the older and old I get and the more of his stuff that I see uh he and I just don't really gel a lot I think because when I was an angsty 16 year old I was like oh taxi driver masterpiece Scorsese but now I'm just kind of like eh, Scorsese you know, gangs of New York I mean come on come on but come on. But have you seen like Age of Innocence and Silence? Uh because those seem like they might be v- sound bad. <laughs> they just sound bad. Okay. <laughs> just based on the title alone, I know nothing about it. Um Okay. Number four. Sisu. Mm. Sisu, I went into it knowing very little. And about 15 minutes into the movie i realize i'm like holy shit wait this is the whole crew that made rare exports which is one of my oh. christmas movies that i like 
and that added a whole level, but Sisu is just, it's like John Wick, World War II, man with no name, Western. And it's just so fucking cool. And just had this, the right sense of humor, and I had such a fun time in theater. I saw, I think I saw two movies in theater entirely alone this year. Uh, which were Sisu and, um, oh fuck me, I can't remember right now. But anyways, did you you didn't see Sisu yet, did you? No, I did not. You didn't see Sue. I didn't see Sisu. Sisu. Tim Curry. Oh no, there was one person I saw. Uh, Demeter alone in theater this year. Hmm. What's your next one? Number four. Uh, number four. This is tough, but since we're like, I'm ranking, these are like ranked now. Okay. Yeah. This, these are ranked. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the killer, the Fincher, the killer. I got to see it. Yeah. It's well. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know what you'll think of it because my review is Fincher pulls a Soderbergh. Uh, well, listening to the blank check recently about Fincher, I realized that. I mean, I've never seen Social Network, but Fincher hasn't really hit for me since Gone Girl. Okay. So he's been kind of in a weird zone doing his own thing. I liked Manhunter, Mindhunter, mm-hmm. but then he's just like, well, fuck it. Or I don't know what happened with Mindhunter, but that not finishing that show left a sour taste in my mouth. That's That's valid. But you haven't missed that much. I mean, he's only really done since Gone Girl. I think Benjamin Button sucks. Agree to disagree. Um, and Mank sounds like something I don't want to do in the least. That's fair. <laughs> uh, my number three. This one really surprised me and this is not a very sean movie blackberry oh wow that is surprising me as well jay baruchel glenn howerton the story of the blackberry phone i've never seen um social network so maybe this is kind of like that movie and maybe that's why this felt fresh to me because i've not seen that before but um i just loved the pace of this one i thought it was shot really well it written really well it was funny glenn howerton i've loved him from sunny in philly and i've thought for so long that he really deserves a better crack because i think he's a genuinely great actor and he's so good in this movie as the just like this intense kind of ruthless horseshoe pattern bald man doing business uh really liked it Really, really liked it. It stuck with me for a while, too. So, Blackberry. Nice. I uh, have avoided all of those uh, biopics or whatever of products and people. You know, and this one felt... Because this was about a failed product, I was more interested in it than the Nike movie about Nike shoes because I'm like, well... So you're just trying to sell more shoes with this movie? Mm. Whereas with Blackberry, it's like telling the story of 
of a failure and also kind of commenting on how we got to where we are with tech now and how fucked up things are. So I think it was interesting to see it from that perspective. I agree. And also I agree that biopics as I call them uh, are largely not my cup of tea because especially musical biopics, God, do they follow the same formula? Mm hmm. No. Uh, um, that's my that's my three. Uh, I have to go with uh, when evil lurks, or number three. Yeah, baby. Yeah, that movie rips. <laughs> it is so. That's good. my. Hey, that's my number two. Okay. Yeah, and it's the other movie I saw completely alone in theater. Same here. Hell yeah! Which that's Damien an experience, Rudna, man. Oh my god! I went into that movie blind. Just knowing that it's the guy who made Terrified, mm-hmm. and Terrified is one of the few movies that can that genuinely creeps me out and gives me goosebumps, and I get creeped out and scared watching it. And while when El- when Evil Lurks is not on that vibe, it's on a whole other vibe. And oh my god, talk about the when I talked before about the world building and bottoms. This movie has equally cool world building where it exists in a reality that the audience is not keyed in on yet. And it slowly unfolds like this beautiful, like piece of super fucked up origami. (laughs) And, (laughs) and some of the things that I saw in that movie were just downright shocking of, I just in the theater, I just kept saying to myself like, Holy fuck. Holy fuck. And like, I, I noticed subconsciously I was I was like crossing my arms over my chest. And at one point I had my hand over my throat like, okay, I'm, I'm protecting my jugular yes. from this movie right now. It, it had that, made me have that response. It was incredible. Loved it so much. Um, uh, what's, what's your, if you have more for when evil lurks? No. Otherwise, what's your number two? My number two is Asteroid City. It can't be. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it can't be. It so much That's, is. I talk about it. God, the, the, I'm just, I know the thing is, I like Wes Anderson here and there. Depends mm-hmm. on what he's done. I haven't seen a few of his movies, but uh, the ad, the, the advertise. I think we saw that one advertised when we saw Nope. I feel like maybe we saw the trailer for it at Mm. that theater. Mm -hmm. I don't remember, but what is appealing about that movie? It's so I like movies that are, uh, that revel in the, the facade of being a movie. Right. And Wes Anderson does that better than anybody of like, okay, here we're, we're basically putting on a stage play this movie is so meta to the point that it's a fake TV show about a fake play that was never written. And you're watching the play within the TV. It's got all these layers to it that because of how false they are on the surface, it actually allows for deeper conversations uh, between these kind of meta layers of uh, arts importance to individuals, arts importance to a community and kind of as an individual, what is your uh, part in making meaning of your own life? And what do you take with you to do that and for, form these connections between people? 
Well, that doesn't sound like anything I can relate to. No. Trying to understand yourself and how you fit into your community and the impact that you make in the world into yourself. No, I I never think about those things. No, it's uh, totally foreign to you. They don't they don't happen in movies, Sean. They happen in films. Uh, fair point. Fair point. I'll I'll get around to that one. Uh-huh. But it really is uh from appreciating it on like an intellectual level and kind of the philosophical discussion that is happening in it to a moment that punched me in the gut late in the movie and it's just this beautiful real emotion and I love that when he uh, or in any kind of creator uses the, like I said, the facade to actually get at something truthful and meaningful. Right on. Yeah. That's cool. Um, all right. I feel like I, if I were to put money on things, put money that we have the same number one. So say it with me. Three, two, oh, what? Where one. are we going? Godzilla minus Godzilla one. Minus one. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Man, I would not have even known this movie were coming out if 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 my friends on Letterbox had not all been knocking four and a halfs and fives, and got uh, previous guest Connie mentioned that it made her cry, and I was just like, "Well, all right, I gotta see what is going on with this." And I'm not a kaiju guy, really. Mm-hmm. The Mainly, mainly the Godzilla movies I've seen are American-based and not very good. I'd say the most recent Godzilla versus Kong being the best of that bunch. Mm-hmm. And Josh, I know I've said to you so many times, like, in these Godzilla movies, stop trying to make me give a shit about these people and their families and their family drama and, like, the relationship with the parents to their children. Like, I don't care. And then bring Godzilla minus one, which completely <laughs> flipped me on my head. And I cared more about the relationships and more about this broken man and his family and his friends than I did about the monster itself. And just what what an accomplishment. What a feat. I was de- like so emotional towards the end of this movie. It was so beautiful. Godzilla was amazing looking. It had its own unique look. Oftentimes it looked like a modern yet homage to the classical look of mm-hmm. Godzilla and how it used to be shot. And I was just left stunned. There was a group of kids in the theater way back behind me who were talking for like the first 10 minutes. And this movie shut them up because I think they they bought into it. I think they were there initially just like, oh, Godzilla, smash. And by the end, the theater was silent for the 12 of us or so who were in there. Awesome. That is exactly the response that should happen to this movie. Because I think if you know anything about, uh, you know, you you sign up for a Godzilla big monster break things kind of like movie. And once again, getting a, a sucker punch of... And it seems so goofy in the beginning. The uh, him, the main character landing on the island, and that his little interaction there. It's just kind of like, okay, he's um, a kamikaze pilot who's scared to go through with his mission, right? Like it could be played. That could be a one-off joke that happened, 
but to actually dig into the psychology of someone who is going through that and how that weighs on them that they didn't do all they could to save the people around them. They didn't do yeah. their part. And the, his found family that happens throughout the story. Oh, the crew. Yeah. The crew is so great. And in the message by the end, um, which I, don't, I won't spoil, but just basically like life matters. Mm-hmm. Life is so important and it's to be cherished. And it just, I I was just completely taken by surprise by this movie. Had did not think in a million years that a Godzilla movie from Japan would be my favorite movie of the year, but it it definitely is. It's, it's one that I, immediately after I saw it, I was like texting my sister and her husband to uh, watch some movies, not a ton, but we used to talk movies a lot more, and I texted them, like, you gotta see it. You gotta see us. Yeah. Um, I kind of can't wait to see it again, and I am a kaiju guy. Like, the... American ones, they're big and they're stupid. And I kind of hate the fact that uh, Godzilla and Kong destroy entire cities. Like, that's too big, right? They've made, they've made the scale too large, and now you can't make it any smaller on that chain of movies. They can't, like, bring that uh, the emotion down. They can't bring the scale down at all. It has to keep ramping up. And here they've done something where they make it personal for one one man that's like that's what it's about and the destruction and everything that happens uh it's it's gnarly there are some great scenes of him like uh Godzilla stampeding through uh the i don't remember what the name what city it is um that, I don't know. that he destroys a good chunk of but it's not you know in one fell swoop knocking down entire uh sections of a city and it's it makes it when you make it smaller like that, it makes it more impactful. When you make it big and it's all about spectacle, nothing has any weight and nothing has any impact. Well said. And it, yeah, that, I think that's a good reason of why when the American movies go for ethos and feelings, I'm like, you're not fooling me because this movie is just a CGI spectacle of. Let's see how smashed San Francisco can get. And it 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 took someone, yeah, to completely take it back and make it smaller and literally make Godzilla smaller mm-hmm. to start with. Um to bring me back and to bring me into it. It was it was amazing. I can't wait to watch it again. Yep. Same thing. And uh it just makes me laugh now because whatever this next American Godzilla movie is gonna be, it's just like good luck. Right. Good good fucking luck competing with that. That's we saw the trailer for it last night, uh, and I was giddy because I'm like, ah, it's a big dumb Godzilla movie. It's got King Kong in it, and there's like another Kong. It's ridiculous looking. Uh, but it's it won't hold the same place. It can't do the same things. Its mission isn't the same, but ultimately it's going to be a lesser movie because of that. Is Simon Barrett doing that one too? I do not recall. Uh, well, whatever. Um, before I think we should do, uh, 
disappointment of the year or two if you have them mm-hmm. after this. Okay, my friend. Up mm-hmm. next, uh, I like that this show doesn't get negative too often. So this is one of our few chances to really just shit on something without hurting the co-host's feelings mm-hmm. or the guest's feelings. What is your 2023 disappointment list? Uh, Maybe not the worst movie, but I, I I like how you said it last year. Not the worst movie, but the one that let you down. Uh, so I have. I'll go with. I'll say three. There's a fourth. Okay, I have. I have two. Okay. Uh, Skinamarink. Okay. <laughs> it, I didn't have expectations going into it, but go on. Uh, I had a great viewing of it. I will say that I absolutely loved being in the audience with my friends, uh, in a packed house at the bell court where we went in that same screen, uh, and watching it with everybody. I, I don't think it's a movie, right? Like it's an art installation or something. It's, it's a series of just liminal spaces, and I got very little out of it other than sitting there. And I know uh, other people loved it, and I wish that I had that same reaction to it. It's a movie that, in theory, works, makes so much sense to me because that idea of like waking up in the middle of the night, walking out into a house and feeling disoriented, and then the doors are gone. Mm-hmm. And there's and it's like it it's a house of leaves. It's the closest I've seen for a movie to have a feeling of House of Leaves, the book. Mm-hmm. I can see that. However, I want fifteen minutes of that. Maybe I I the feature length of that was so brutal and yeah there there was maybe I I just one or two moments that were kind of creepy, but um, yeah, I think in my review I quoted a Carl Pilkington someone wrote about one of his TV shows and said, uh, this ball achingly dull series. Ooh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been so bored that your balls start aching? And <laughs> skin them a rink for me. But I don't, but good on a guy for Trying something completely new. I cannot imagine watching that movie in a packed theater. That's got to be a, just the weirdest experience. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, I only have two, so I guess I could go with my runner-up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to say if this really disappointed me. I it was just... The movie, Plane. Plane is, my, have Gerard, is my extra one, yeah. Gerard Butler... Captain of a plane with some terrorist guy and they crash and have to fight. It's like, this should be campy, stupid fun. And it wasn't at all. It Mm -hmm. just took itself seriously and they didn't let Gerard Butler cook. Mm -hmm. They didn't let him din of thieves it up. They didn't let him... uh, It just wasn't, wasn't what I wanted it to be. So, perfect pairing with plane uh, goes Silent Night the the new John Woo movie uh, starring Joel Kinnaman. That, really? Yeah. I was so pumped for it because even the trailer had me, I was like super into it. 
the trailer opening, looked fun. Yeah, the opening sequence I was very into, uh, but it's just the same kind of thing. Um, yeah, my review. Uh, there's hardly any dialogue. It's uh, mostly you know just action and everything. Uh, it there's still too much exposition in it. A lot of the action is just kind of lame. It's very limp feeling, and it doesn't have any of like the excitement of most uh, earlier John Boo films. So and, you, do you think a movie like Nobody does the same thing but better? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I got you there. Yep. Um, okay, I can't... What's the John Woo Chow, Chow Yun-Fat movie with the baby? Oh, um, Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled. Yeah. So it's it's not... it's Because that movie is insane. Yeah. I watched Hard Boiled for the first time, I think, last year. And that, that shit is so crazy and so over the top mm-hmm. that it, it my mouth was just like hanging open at how absurd it was. This is not that. This is not that, no. Okay. Um, so this will lead to my number one disappointment of the year. And this really comes down to... Uh, it's not... It's the movie's fault. But it's not the movie's fault. It's that the book was so fucking good. Knock at the cabin. <gasps> I read Cabin at the End of the World. Uh-huh last summer on the train before i saw you in nashville on the train between dc and philly i finished uh cabin at the end of the world mm-hmm. and was blown away by it and couldn't believe pretty brutal book but so good and just really spoke to me and left me feeling just kind of awestruck a bit by aspects of the story and the message, and I loved the message. And I was curious when I heard that Shyamalan was going to remake it, and I'm not a Shyamalan hater at all. I like old, I think I've seen old two or three times now. Like, I, he, and the man shoots a fucking beautiful movie, and that's what mm-hmm. really frustrated me is Knock at the Cabin, beautifully shot. He directs the hell really, out of it. Really well acted. I liked so many things about it. But Shyamalan fucking gutted the entire meaning of the book and the story and everything and just, like, went 180 degrees opposite direction of what the book's meaning was. And it left me so pissed off at what a gutless adaptation this was when it was so fucking good at the same time. And so it really, I, I struggle. I gave it a three out of five in my review because I'm like, mm-hmm. how do I rate a movie that is so good yet so infuriating at the same time? Okay. So in practice, we're not far off, except for I was expecting it to not be good at all. And then I saw how well directed it was and how inventive it is w- with using that small space uh, and the limited cast. Uh, from a directing standpoint, and I love that. And Batista, I yeah, but I I was over Batista with um the glass, whatever the new Knives Out movie was. Oh, glass! I, I, he's kind he's kind of had some misses for me lately, and the that Army of Dead movie was fine. 
Um, but man, yeah, he was really good in this and he tapped into the, um, Blade Runner cameo that he had. Mm -hmm. He had that like five minute character in, in Blade Runner, but he was able to actually convey like deep pathos and, and he is able to carry that through to this movie. He was excellently cast compared to his character in the book. Like really, really good job. Again, this is why I'm so frustrated by it. Okay, I will. I will take your uh, your words with that, and yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, my other one would have been uh, Thanksgiving, the Eli Roth movie. Really? Yeah, and it's it is because I bought into the hype. I normally am pretty good at separating myself, my expectations from what other people say. Uh, on a movie like that, when it's something really small and you have no frame of reference for it at all, you kind of have to go on what other people say. But here, um, I had seen the trailer and I wasn't into it. And I think that maybe I'm just not in an Eli Roth phase in my life anymore. Uh, but it seemed like a good return to, you know, fun slasher. And I rated it three, but it was still a big disappointment to me. Um, it's it's not as fun as it should be in in places. It's overly mean in places where it, it feels like it shouldn't be. And I just didn't have a good time with it like I thought I would. The Red Band trailer made it look too gnarly for me to have fun with. Mm -hmm. And I think Eli Roth, as I listened to previously recently on weekly podcast massacre with our friend greg mm -hmm. um they covered green inferno and Ooh. greg's thesis about roth which i wholeheartedly co-sign is the man knows how to make a great movie but his tastes and mine do not align and i think that's a good way to put it i, yeah. I saw the red band for thanksgiving and I'm similarly not in a place of it's funny that I I loved Saw 10 this year because I'm also about to tell you that like, I'm not in a place of watching brutal torture porn mm -hmm. kind of stuff anymore. And that I think Thanksgiving gave me a kind of mid 2000s, really cynical vibe, which is not not really what I'm chasing these days. Um. Okay. So, last thing on my list is uh, just great movies I watched this year, regardless of year. This will be mostly, I'll say it's mostly unranked. And I'll I'll go through this pretty, a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just do like, I'll just throw a bunch of them out there. Like, I saw The Elephant Man for the first time. I liked that one a lot. Uh, it's probably my favorite lynch movie because it's the least lynchy of his movies and uh it's carl pilkington's favorite movie so that was another reason i was happy to see it okay nebraska was really fucking good with bruce dern and oh yeah, Forte. yeah so good and another great movie about similar to that old man marley idea like fathers and sons and relationships First Cow was just a cool movie about a, a cool way to tell, like, a frontier story. Uh, Faults was a cool, uh, mm, cool I love movie. Faults. Yeah, and I, and 
previously I'd seen that director's other movies, uh, Art of Self-Defense and Duel, and I didn't like either of those movies at all. Mm -hmm. And so I was really surprised that Faults worked for me as well as it did. And uh, I have more, but I'll, I'll, I'll just do five for now and then let you go. Uh, Blow the Man Down. Oh. Cool movie about, like, a Massachusetts crime world kind of led by women while the men are out fishing at sea and these two young women um, kind of making their way through that town. Very good. Um, you want to just throw some at me? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so some of these are were rewatches that I hadn't seen in a long, long time, long enough that I had no assessment of them previously, basically. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I recently rewatched Jackie Brown. Never seen. It might be my favorite Tarantino. Like, okay. Yeah. I, it's incredibly complete as a film. Uh, and I, I feel like he kind of lacks that sometimes. Um, deep cover, which was great. I watched deep cover and one false move, uh, almost back to back. Um, I kind of went on like a, even for me, a deep, uh, crime noir, kick the last couple weeks and I've just seen some great stuff. So those were a couple of highlights. Um, I watched the director's cut of black hat, Michael Mann's black hat, uh, which is much better than the theatrical. I think the reordering of events makes it uh, a lot more understandable, uh, to the, the arc of the story and the buildup of events. That Whitey Bulger, the guy who killed people for the gangs or mob or something. No. What are you thinking? Of? Oh, that's a that's Black Mass. Oh, uh, I think I, yeah, I, I was think close. Yeah. No, Black Hat. I was close. Black Hat is a hacker movie with uh Thor. Thor? Oh, Chris. Yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's in his uh Miami Vice mode. Okay. And then uh I have been putting off for the longest time watching Possession, um the horror film. With, uh, oh yeah, that one was great. Yeah, Sam Neill and um, Isabella Johnny. The, yeah, that kind of blew my hair back when I watched it. I saw that for the first time, I think last year sometime, and uh, yeah, fucking wild ride. Holy shit! So, so lunacy that movie, but yep. really, really cool. I I, I want to watch. Ah, fuck! That director has another one. It's a crazy poster. Um. And I've wanted to watch it for a while because it gets really good reviews. And it's something about Christian on the Silver Globe. Oh, yeah. And I say it's something Christian because the poster is a Crown of Thorns character. Um, I want to check that one out just because it gets crazy high reviews and I know nothing about it. Um. Let's see here. A couple of mine, a few more before we get to top three. Uh, The Thin Blue Line, just a great documentary about police fuckery with uh, Mm -hmm. an incredible Philip Glass score. Get Low, the Robert Duvall movie where he's an (gasps) old Tennessee hermit and then he has a living funeral for himself. I just just really love Robert Duvall. He just kind of speaks to me and... Sissy Spacek is in that movie too, and she's really great. Um, 
LA Confidential, I know I liked it a lot, but I was also pretty drunk, and so <laughs> I kind of <laughs> need to rewatch that one. And Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, just a great movie. We did that for the pod, right? Yep. Yeah, like, just great performances. Um, I'm, I'm real hit or miss on a, th- a, f- a film that feels like a theatrical play filmed, where Virginia Woolf, it works perfectly. And then when I watch The Whale, it feels artificial, like I'm watching a filmed play. And uh, last one, another one we did on the show, Kung Fu Hustle. Oh. Just had such a fun time with it and never, probably would never have watched that movie. And it was just so silly and so Looney Tunes and such a great time. So I have three more, but I'll, I'll save those for after you. Um, uh, Banshee's Vinisherin. I think we talked. Was that on my list last year, though? I, th- I thought it might have been. I, I thought we might have talked about that at end of last year's list, which is why it's not on mine this year. It's uh, I watched it on January fifteenth. So okay, that might I might have seen that one in January as well, but I just I I chalked it up to last year. Yeah, it was a, it was a last year's release. For sure. Um, and only one other that I want to mention before, if we're doing top three, um, yeah. would be uh, The Innocents, the original one, 1961 with Deborah Kerr. Kerr? Carr? Uh, I don't know how you pronounce her name. Kerr, I guess. Um, Is that Western or horror? Horror. Okay. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. Um, as soon as you would start watching the setup, you would know the story, I think, because it's a common story that has been told multiple, multiple times. Uh, but it is one of the most atmospheric movies, um, that I've ever seen. It's, it's great. Cool. Uh, my number three is Sea Fever, a movie that, uh, was recommended to me by my buddy, John. And John is a guy who I have oftentimes vastly varying opinions on movies with where I'll five star something and he'll one star it. It's, it's a classic John move, but man, this movie, I was really surprised. It's just, it's about a modern, uh, a fishing boat, modern day Ireland going out on the ocean and some kind of weird, I don't want to give too much away, but some weird creature kind of shit happens out there. And, I just thought that the boat felt really lived in. I watched Deadliest Catch for a long time growing mm-hmm. up, and so it just kind of spoke true, and it felt right, and and it just worked for me. I was surprised how well it worked for me, and it also introduced me to the music art- artist called Daughter, <coughs> which is a really, really good s- band singer i'm not sure if she's solo or if that's the name of the band that she's in but um yeah really good caught me off guard wasn't expecting to like it as much as i did what's your three johnny guitar from 1954 by nicholas ray um it is a movie that i've seen the introduction by scorsese i've seen over and over again um and he talks about how it's like a one of the most complete movies i think um, and 
it's it's a western it feels kind of stage bound because of uh just you're on a couple sets for a lot of it but the climactic shootout and the actual drama that goes behind it makes it play a lot better and as you know you know we watched a lot of westerns for my other podcast that i was doing with eli and andrew uh and this like blows most of those out of the water a lot of those were good but this was great joan crawford is just astonishing in this movie um kind of the power that she gets away with exhibiting as a woman in 1954 uh is it's great nice uh, my number two really caught me off guard. Vengeance, B.J. Novak movie. Oh, very, very recent one. Uh, didn't think it would be as good as it was, but it it just really connected with me. I thought it had a lot of really good points to make about um being judgmental about people, especially people from different cultures, different parts of the country, um, etc. And then also really good points about um just the current state we live in as far as um true crime and turning people's pain and suffering into content and both our need to consume that but also the creators seeming need to make it even if it's like it 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 just really worked better for me than I thought it would. And, uh, I liked it a lot. Nice. Uh, I've been putting that one off because I thought it was going to be a lightweight, but your recommendation makes it sound a little more impressive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was just really surprised by, it. and a couple of excellent acting performances that really brought weight to the whole thing. So check it out. Uh, I'm going with Electra Glide in Blue from 1973. Uh, this is another movie my dad had watched, actually, and recommended at some point. And I just thought it was going to be... It's it's Robert Blake is a cop. Um, and I just thought it was going to be like another 70s kind of cop film, which is, you know, not that far from what I like. Uh, but I wasn't in the mood for it for a long time. But the... It winds up being kind of having noir elements and just this desert, this oppressive desert environment that the characters are in. Um, and it just, it really strips the characters bare. Like it is such a ruthless movie in a lot of ways. Um, I, I called it a real sad bastard film right up my alley, uh, in my review, uh, and kind of the murder mystery that plays at the core is just, it's so sad. It's such a, these people eking out their kind of pathetic little existences and trying to find meaning in, out in the middle of the desert. Uh, uh, also, uh, all cops are bastards. So. Wow. Right on. Yep. I, I was trying, I don't know if I, I don't know Robert Blake at all. I thought you might be talking about who is the arms dealer in the Breaking Bad, not the arms dealer, the vacuum cleaner guy who would get people out in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Oh, is he it? Died. He um, died in the past two years. Uh, uh, Robert I Forrester. I think it's Robert. Yeah, 
I thought you were talking about that guy. No, also, uh, he was in Jackie Brown. <clears throat> oh, there you go. Yep. Fun connection. Um, that brings me to my number one, which is a movie I hosted this month during our discords with on With Gory and Rust uh, spooky season. I had never seen it before. Uh, Cure. Oh, Japan. yeah. 90s horror movie. Kiyoshi Kurosawa, and... I believe. Yeah, I, I I knew almost nothing about it, and I would definitely like to watch it again, because it was just spooky and original and shot so cool, and it just, it, that movie's just a vibe. Yeah. A dark, dark, depressing, uh, upsetting, scary at moments vibe. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> What's your uh, number one for this year? Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, it's a Michael Mann film. The Last of the Mohicans. I've never seen it. Oh, Sean. This, I think I texted you when I, when I watched it. So Last of the Mohicans was my first date movie that I ever went on in 1992 um, with Colleen Carney, my girlfriend at the time. Uh, my dad either sat in the lobby or like sat behind us and watched it. And he drove us home in his, uh, Z 28. He drove her home and I sat in the back seat and she sat in the front and she stuck her hand between the seats and we held hands, uh, on the way home. And I remembered nothing about the movie, right? Because I was so excited to be with this very pretty girl, uh, holding hands. However, rewatching this movie, I I'm surprised I remember Colleen because this movie is fantastic. <laughs> uh but it is achingly romantic as well. Like it is uh all of the the dude romance of um Master and Commander. There there's quite a bit of dude stuff in this one too, but uh with Madeline Stowe and Daniel Day-Lewis as your leads is just it hurts my heart to watch it. The action is amazing. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is... Well, I mean, he's Daniel Day-Lewis, right? He's, like, transformative in every role he's in, practically. And uh, in this one, he made me buy into something I didn't think I was going to, frankly. Like, the setup of the movie, I was not excited to rewatch it, but I was doing a Michael Mann rewatch. And... This came out of nowhere for me this year. Nice. I, my only real connection to that movie is when I was in seventh grade, I got Napster for the first, well, for the first time, like you get Napster many times in your life, but I got, got on Napster and I was playing lacrosse in seventh grade. And so I looked up like sports like sports pump up music or something <laughs> like that and found some person's montage where they just edited like movie audio clips with other random shit so it was probably before any given sunday but like you'd get like a quote of like al pacino going we claw with our fingernails for that inch and then it would play the last of the mohicans theme and i don't remember how it goes right now but i know for a fact i know the score from last of the mohicans Mm -hmm. from listening to that and then it would play another quote of like, we're going to fight them on the beaches. And then it'd be like, doo, 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 
and it's just a full-on medley of 12 seconds of music ridiculous that's uh, i want to watch it though i, I, also I do think you dig it i don't want to watch ferrari yeah i don't either i am never i've never been compelled to want to watch adam driver an adam driver vehicle ah that's that one's got layers to it i like it uh thank you yeah i don't know if it's just because i think it's because people have oversold him to me and i'm like yeah he's a fine actor i don't know why y'all are freaking out about this weird looking guy is it just because he's weird looking i don't get it (laughs) Is he so ugly that he's come back around to be uh, good-looking, and that's why people are so into him? I don't get it. I think that might be part of it. But also, he's no. he's a good actor. So He is, but he's not... He's not, like, the actor of our time. Same with... Like, Driver and Shyamalan. Take them out to an island and leave them there for three and a half years, please, and then bring them back. That's fair. Well, speaking of taking someone out to an island and leaving them back... Fun movie that I watched on Shudder this year. OLI. Could could throw it in there. Influencer. It was fun. I liked it. Hmm. It's good. And uh, the the girl from it, the young woman, is... I've seen her in another movie now. I feel like she's going to hit it big. That's my... That's my uh, claim. Is that her name is Cassandra Noud. And she's an actress who has... Um, a facial birthmark. Okay. And it's just very distinctive. And she was in It's a Wonderful Knife also. Oh, that oh. movie wasn't good. That was not a good movie. But I'm picture I'm I'm projecting big things for Cassandra Noud next year. Put well, it on the board. I'll I'll let her know. Yeah. <laughs> Tell her I'm single too. Okay. I'll bring it up. <laughs> um Good shit, man. Good app. Good year. Didn't quite do as many episodes as we probably would have liked, but I <clears throat> went went through a lot this year, and but I feel like we're back on track. Yeah, I think uh, more or less we're doing pretty well. We're doing good. Yep. Um, next time we have not talked about a next movie, but fuck it, we've never really done a Demolition Man esque movie. <sighs> Uh, would you put it, I mean, mentally, it puts me in the same place as Twister, maybe? Like, big dumb action? It's, it's big dumb action, but it's also Mm -hmm. about what its predictions for the future are, which make it so much fun. Okay. I almost, ooh, make you watch Demolition Man and Her. (laughs) <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen either of those have you no we got we have a, a, a future yeah. tripping double episode yeah because it really pisses me off that you haven't watched either of those movies that's fair i i think uh your, your anger it is, is it is like a short short-term future trip episode i like it you down with that yeah hell yeah i'm excited for that one but all the pressure's on me yeah, if these if I don't like these, if it's if it's a bad episode, I have nobody to blame. Yep, I'll still probably blame you, but hmm. just be to my family, not on air. 
<laughs> Thanks. Oh boy. Um, you got anything else as we close out this episode and also this year, 2023, the year of our Lord? I don't believe so. I'm, uh, I mean, I got COVID brain still, so. I think I've worked through my fog as we talked to this episode. I feel pretty sharp again. I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. It feels good to have you be happy for me. Be kind to yourselves, everyone. Be kind to each other. See you next year. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.